Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Before the World Implodes. I'm here, your host Robin Marzipan, and today, as promised, we finally have a guest. It's been a while, I wanted to do this sooner, but I had COVID, obviously we were gonna do this episode like two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago, but had to cancel it because on the day I got a negative COVID test. Um, but we're here now, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, Desired guest. Hello there, it's me. My name's Alice. Um, I think that's all I need to say for now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Legend. Yeah. Musical connoisseur. Yeah. Reviewer. Art critique. You play keys, guitar. Occasionally, bass mainly, but guitar. Skilled learning, musician. Yeah. yeah. Opinionated so and so. Very opinionated. Yeah. So. I've got to say. Before we even get into this, Go I gotta say, um, getting negative on COVID, man, could even pass the test. Literally, I think COVID was the first <laughs> test I've passed in a long time, to be honest with you. And I'd failed it about a hundred times before that. I yeah. was honestly, you got to the point where I was convinced I couldn't get COVID. And just before that seg- second line developed on the test, because you know with the test, you have like one line, yeah. and then it takes like half an hour for the second one to develop. It takes a while for the second one. Yeah. I literally jinxed myself just before that second line developed. I said to my mum, when am I going to get COVID? Oh, shit. And then she's like, <laughs> right now, motherfucker, oh, <laughs> get to your room. That fucking sucks. It's shit. I was so I, um... convinced because I'd read, I'd read this thing on The Guardian, right? That like 20 to 40% of people who haven't developed COVID yet won't develop it because their immune systems have an automatic reaction to defeat reaction, the yeah. to defeat the virus as soon as it enters the body. Yeah. I was like, shit, that's me. Yeah. I was walking around not giving a fuck. And then, bam. Yeah, I gotta say, I still haven't tested positive. No. No, like. Are you vaxxed? There was um yeah double vaxxed. I um got my second vax about two three weeks ago. But um, the thing with that is um. Even during this period, I forget when this was now, it was a few months back, like mm. spring maybe, I was in isolation for two months. Everybody in the house had the COVID, except me. I tested. So that's, that's the thing. It's, it's such so strange. A, it's such an odd thing. Because and it wasn't just for like one day too. I like tested most days, nothing. And was this before you were vaccinated? Yeah. Because you'd know, you'd know, well. you'd know if you... But the thing is, it's difficult. If I didn't take the test, I would have thought I had the flu. Yeah. Because I didn't lose my taste, I didn't lose my sense of taste or smell. Yeah. The only thing, weirdly enough, the one thing I can't smell is my farts. <laughs> it's the only thing. The only thing. Because I remember on like, the third day. That's the, cause that's the key to the cure right there. I think so. Know. I think it's the key to making everyone get COVID so okay. they can all get over it. Don't yeah. worry, you won't, you won't be able to smell your farts anymore. Just get it. Quick, come on. You smell someone's ass, you got to Literally. Um, but on, I was speaking to a friend who also had it, same age as me, and he was saying he'd got it a few days before, like two days before, and he was saying on the third day, he lost all of his taste and smell, so I was like, okay, shit, third day, so he gets to the third morning, and I fart, and I'm like, alright, this is the test, so I put my head under the covers, <laughs> I have a sniff, I was like, shit, I can't smell it, yeah. <laughs> I'm fully fucked. He needs COVID tests. And like, then, and then my mum yeah. brings me up some porridge. So I can't go down to the kitchen. Yeah. And I can taste the bananas. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I just didn't lose it. Yeah. I didn't lose it. But I had fever every single night for four days. Like, I didn't sleep. I got it on Thursday. And I didn't sleep until Sunday. Like, not even for ten minutes. Yeah. I just couldn't sleep. But then after that, I was completely fine. I think I had Delta. Yeah. Delta comes on quicker. Gets It's a bit more severe. 
and then it just goes after like four days. Yeah. And that's what I think I had. I didn't get any shortness of breath, anything like that, but I did get bad fever. So it no, wasn't right. it wasn't nothing. I'm not like, like close. It. I want to say my closest stroke to like having something that was like COVID was like during summer of last year. Me and my friends were like sort of planning to you know get drunk and all that. Right. And we had this plan. It was gonna be a big thing. Day before, we're all sorting it out, and I am like sat down on this wooden log, just fucking shaking so much, and I don't know why. What, like a cold fever or a bit, but yeah, fever it was, and like I was like, what the fuck's going on right now? I could barely walk, and then mm. like, you know, uh, my mom could be picked, my mom could have picked me up at that time, so I just had to walk it. Fortunately, which fucking sucked. Were you massive? Were you hell. high? No, I wasn't high. Completely sober. Yeah, I was completely sober at that point. And I was just having this really awful fever. I was like, what mm. the fuck's going on? So then I go home and I'm like, oh, I probably have COVID, don't I? Test. Still nothing. Still nothing. It's so strange. It's but, tricky yeah. though because my friend Connie, shout out Connie, she had COVID, but she took three PCR tests that were all negative and on the same day got one of the proper tests and it was positive. positive. And, and then she yeah. lost her taste and smell. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird, man. Like... Yeah. I don't know. I, and I, I don't. I, it's it's confusing because, it, in obviously it's meant to be highly contagious. Yeah. And it must be quite contagious because I, don't remember being in a confined space with anyone who had it. Yeah. And I got it, but like my mum and brother both didn't get it. Yeah. It's That's I don't strange. know. I don't know. It's strange. Yeah. It's an unpredictable thing, I suppose. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I was honestly convinced I was one of the lucky few that couldn't get it because I worked at Boardmasters over the summer. Oh, right. Sure. Got like four or five hundred pounds for the week. Fuck. Did like 12 hour shifts every day on a burger van. See any of the performers? I only got to see Ocean Wisdom. Ocean Wisdom, all right. And then I just managed to get out of there before, um, well, as, what's that pop singer called that was coming on? A female pop singer. It's like, uh, I can't remember her name, but she was like what all of the basic white bitches were there for. <laughs> Anne-Marie. Oh, no, Anne not Anne-Marie. Is it Anne-Marie? No, she's a BBC Two girl, right? Who am I thinking of? Lauren something. Becky Hill. I was thinking, I knew there was an association with Lauren Hill. I'm thinking Lauren Hill, Becky Hill. Not too long ago. Yeah, it was horrendous. I just managed to get out of there. I've never heard of fucking Becky Hill, so maybe I have, but it just sounds the same as other shit. But like, I remember my mum was like, picking my brother up from where I was in the car. It's just crowds of like, 15 year old, like white people and shit. Just like, around the pavilions, around the roads, and like, what the fuck's going on? It was like, yeah. Becky Hill. I'm like, I've never fucking heard of her. God, mate, she was what oh, all yeah. of the girls were there for, and it drove me mad. I had to get out of there. As soon as I saw her come out, like, people just started swarming yeah. in, and I was straight out. The only there. reason I was, like, kind of interested in Broadmasters this year, because Gorillas were playing. Yeah, and Slow Tie was playing. Like, yeah, Slow Tie. Kano, there were loads, loads of cool people playing, but yeah. I didn't get to see any of them. I was working from 6pm to 6am every day. Oh, right. On a burger van. 24-hour burger van. It was... Shit. It was horrendous, man. Sounds like it, especially in that climate. God, it was so bad. But it was weird, because when I got back, everyone was like, oh, I bet you've got COVID, because apparently everyone got COVID at Boardmasters. Yeah. I fucking didn't. I didn't... So I was like, okay, I don't have it, but... Yeah. I'm not going to have it, but I did. I did end up getting it. Yeah. Yeah, Boardmasters was weird. Not being able to see Slow Tie really pissed me off. And then his festival... He has a has a festival that he's doing oh, called yeah, like Happy Land or something. Yeah. And that was on my birthday and he cancelled it. Oh shit. Because he wanted to do it properly, right? I didn't want to like have to restrict it because of COVID. COVID, yeah. Which fair. 
God, I guess on that conversation, um, what gigs you been to? Been to any lately? Literally none. I went to last time I went out was like to a gig was a drag show at the underground. Anyway. On my nineteenth birthday last month, and oh my god, man, I've never been more drunk in my life. Yeah. <laughs> so bad, but the show was incredible. Shout out to Slag Shack. They are they put on a brilliant performance. Um, all of their drag queens were so cool, and it was like first time I've been to a drag show in so long, and the way they did it kind of reminded me of like nineties hip hop. Yeah. The way it's like sort of sequenced. The performances are so samply, so it'll go from like one minute they're like lip syncing from like a 40s rom-com and like they're doing like the part of like a man in a film and then like two seconds later they're like doing a disney song with like a sexually provocative dance to it okay. and just mix in between all of these different things and it was like what they would do in like in like a doom or like an nwa track where they just mix so many different things from like different media like, into one track yeah, backgrounds and stuff and yeah. it was it was so cool it was so MF cool. Doom was so creative with that, especially. Dude, MF Doom. Yeah, yeah he was. He was. Rest well. Legendary, a legendary, yeah. innovative I had rapper. Mad Villainy was possibly the album that got me into hip hop. It's like yeah. either that album or Man on the Moon by Kid Cudi. One yeah. of those two is. It came out the sort of right time for me. And right. I was like, when was well, that? I want to say mid twenty eighteen. Yeah. Because my only experience with hip hop before that that I really enjoyed was. Uh, Fucking like Lip Biscuit shit. Right, like okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, oh and Eminem. Moving on. Eminem as well. That was quite Eminem was Eminem was definitely my first for sure. Yeah. Eminem was probably like the first like rapper I got into, but um no, when I like after that for a while, MF Doom really clicked with me at that point. Mm. And um I wanna say I checked out Operation Doomsday after that. Yep. That was a great album. Um I really, really love Um Food by him, though. Oh, man. That's um probably Food. my favourite from him. I think that's the first album I listened to by him. Oh, right. One of my favourite albums, period. Yeah, such a Put it in my album. top five top five hip-hop albums, hands down. Yeah. He was, um... I feel like I jinxed him, in a way. Don't want to get, like, a crowd of hate from this, but I think I caused MF Doom's death, oh, in God. a way. Because, obviously, they didn't announce his death until New Year's. Yeah. But he died on Halloween. Yeah. And on that Halloween morning, I sold a custom MF Doom mask. I had a custom-made right. metal MF Doom mask. God. And I sold it on eBay that day. Could you, Robin? And I think the energy of me disregarding his mask Transcended finished him off. I don't know how he died. I don't know if it was natural causes or whatever. Yeah, I don't think it was ever revealed. I, I think it's quite private. Yeah. Which is fair enough. Completely. Yeah. Died via eBay. <laughs> yeah, eBay auction. God. eBay auction killed MF Doom. God damn. Oh, fuck. I, but, felt, um, I felt so bad about it when I found out. I was like, shit. When I saw yeah. it was Halloween, I was like, wait. I was stoned. I was like, what the fuck? God. Guys, I killed MF Doom. God. Oh, my God. So, um, there's this song. Uh, me and my friend, May, we're really close to each other. And we talk a lot about music and art. And we're both right. MF Doom fans. And we like to bring up this one song that he did. Um, yeah. Have you heard his album, Born This Way? No, is that is that the one that's like a half half picture of his mask? Yeah, and then the other side's like a I forget what it is. It's like a green brown thing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, God, that's such I a could, good description. I could say this word because I'm I'm sectional, but um, it's a song called uh, Batty Boys," on there. <laughs> and um, it's about him. It's about like the persona of um, 
you know, Emma Thume. Uh, yeah. Well, well, the character he's playing on that song, I'm forgetting now. My, my brain's fried. But, Wait, was um, it Victor Vaughn on that one? I don't think it was Victor Vaughn. It was the villain. I think it was just the villain character. Okay. But, um... Whatever it was, um, basically the character, he gets jealous of all these um, other villains and that. Right. Uh, at least all the um, superheroes and shit. I think it's superheroes, yeah. Yeah, no, he, he gets jealous of all these superheroes and um, proceeds to sort of, like, make fun of them by that, by, right. like, using homophobia. Okay. And I gotta say, although it hasn't aged well, it's a pretty creative use of homophobia. For I'll sure? Give him, I'll really? give him that. Yeah. I'll have to listen to it. It's, a pretty, want... um, it's a pretty funny song, I will yeah. say. That's, I, I need to listen to that then. I want to hear some creative homophobia. I get bored of it. You know <laughs> I what I mean? Bored of, um, Especially yeah. when I was at like, St. Bonnie's, man. When I was at... So there's so much you could just like go to the pub and then like get cool with the F-slur or something. Yeah, innit? When someone's like, oh, you faggot, it's like one thing. But if yeah. someone gets creative with it and they're like, I don't know, make it, make it at least funny and quirky... Like, oh, yeah. Spunk Chugger or something. <laughs> like, come on, make God, it fun. No, I was looking at um, some of these insults a few months back with um, Manny. And, yeah. Um, it was like a list of them. It was like a list of homophobic slurs that and most of them were like British. Right. Um, one of them was Marmite Minor. Yeah. That's a fucking good one. Marmite Minor. Um, Uphill Gardener. <laughs> I've heard that really one. Loads. A, I've yeah. heard that. Um, I think one of my favorites was cock construction worker. <laughs> Just like... That sounds like a fucking uh, cupcake album. Oh, <laughs> cock construction worker. Oh god. Oh my god. That no, makes me wonder, like, how the fuck do these people just come up with these like terms and that? It's yeah. Like, you want to express it's your funny though. In such a creative. It's a way. generation that grew up on Eminem. That's the thing. Oh, you know, I would yeah, say it's funny because hip hop, right? This I listened to so much hip hop as a kid. Yeah. Till I was like 12, it was exclusively hip-hop, and then it was like Oasis and Frank Sinatra. But until then, it was Eminem, 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 and then yeah. like NWA and all that. But listening to Eminem, it's weird, because Slim Shady LP was my favourite album for like five, the first five conscious years of my life. Yeah. But it was mad homophobic, and I was yeah. mad homosexual. <laughs> but I never, never at one point listening to the album was like offended yeah. in a weird way. I, I never, like, if I listen to a new rap song that's homophobic now, I feel a certain type of way about it. Yeah. But when I was listening to Eminem, Back I just then, didn't yeah. think of myself as gay because I, I guess I hadn't realised it was such a, like, yeah. structured Would thing. Would you say it's because you didn't, like, have the cultural understanding at that time? Yeah, because I think if you're just, when you're born just a natural way, thinking yeah. a certain thing, until a certain age, you don't have any, um, you don't have any repercussions in your head towards yeah. it. You just think, like... It's like if you um like you learn to walk, that's something that you get taught, and you just see relationships, and you see people get attracted to other people, and then when yeah. you're attracted to someone, you're just like, okay. Yeah. But then I guess eventually, you realize, oh shit. Once I got to six, I was like, okay, this is different. Yeah. You know, me and my brother were sat watching Justin Bieber on MTV, and I knew we were watching it in different ways. You feel me? Yeah. <laughs> I knew the experience was different for both of us at that point. <laughs> I was looking at him one way, he was looking at it another way. Yeah, fair enough. Dude, there was this time, right? I um. You remember JLS? Oh, yeah. Dude, so JLS, right, this was like the first peek through the curtain when yeah. I, the first time someone looked through my veil of heterosexuality and there was suspicion raised about my sexuality. So I was about six years old. Yeah. And um, this was back in the days that you could buy music videos on the Virgin TV store. Like if you wanted to see a music video, you had to buy it. Yeah. And um, I'd seen the music video for a JLS song. I think it was like, um, I don't know any of their songs now, <laughs> to be honest. 
But they were all in like tight jeans and they all had their shirts off and with these like big chiseled six packs. Like every video by them. Right. <laughs> and um, um I'd God, seen I the video. I'd like... seen the video and I was like, wow. And then we already had the CD. And my brother and my dad went to the shop and I wanted yeah. to see the video again. So I bought it for like £1.50 on the Virgin store. And my dad comes back and he's looking through the TV and he's like, why have you bought a music video? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I just wanted to listen to the song. And my brother's like, we've got it on CD. And I was like, oh, weird. <laughs> it was, um... Oh, that's great. That's a great moment, story. Man. I have this, like, other memory of um, JLS, funny enough, where um, this one time, there was this, um... It's closed down now, but around Devonport there was this record shop. It was a really great. Uh, I know the really one on the shop. on. I forget the street. I know yeah, the one. I think it's called Dockyard Discs. Dockyard Discs. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Really great shop. Shame it closed down, but um, they had like a sort of box in the back, which was all like you know CDs, just like sort of like broken CDs and shit. Right. And then like there was these like in the bottom there was these like pristine condition. JLS CDs that was signed by all the members. Signed? Yeah. Do you know how much it was going for? Go on. 25p. Amazing. Yeah, 25p That's so funny. You should have yeah. bought them and sold them on eBay. Oh, yeah, true. That would have been good. But That's so funny. At the time, I just thought it was just really funny finding those. Like, 25p. Oh, yeah, it wasn't even like the signatures were like printed onto like the... Um, they were just actually paper. written They were on. just like actually Do you think on. the guy knew who they were? Probably not. I mean, the Probably guy was not. like... I know, I know the guy worked in there. Yeah, he didn't seem to know a lot about. Don't think he'd know about JLS. About JLS, no. I he didn't seem very um, poppy. I remember once Manny like got from the parents or something a um Bragan Bowman vinyl, right? And then Manny just wasn't interested, and yeah. so um, they went to the guy, sold it. We tried to sell it, and then the guy was like, "I have no idea who this guy is." Yeah, just like a lot of confusion in that. Which is fair enough. It's weird yeah. though. You'd think. I would imagine, for some reason, that if you owned a record shop, you'd just listen to the radio a lot. Yeah. I always thought, like... I, I, I think I might have had that perspective at one point, but now I, like... Whenever I go into there, and, like, the moment I see the style, you know, the aesthetic of the record shop, I think, oh, I can immediately tell that type of character, what they, mus- what they listen I to. I don't know. Because here's the thing. I've got a really strong friendship with the guy who runs really good records. You know really good records? Oh, Yeah. Me, That's a great shot. The guy yeah. who runs it, Jim. I would consider him a friend, yeah. but I can't see anything about him in the record shop. If All that right. makes sense. That's like when I look that. at the shop, I can't see sort of his taste. And to be honest, I'm not really sure I know what his taste is. Yeah. And he definitely doesn't know what mine is. There's like a running joke in there now, that like they try to the guys in there trying to figure out what genre I'm gonna buy when I go in. Because right. the first few times I went in, I was in like a, I was listening to loads of Black Sabbath at the time. Yeah. So it's like Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, like Motorhead, um, Hawkwind, and then it was, and then there were some rap records in it that I liked. So I got like, some NWA records and a Wu Tang record, and then it was just Madonna, 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 yeah. Lady Gaga, and um, since then they're just like, what the fuck, <laughs> what, yeah. who are you? God, and yeah, I think exactly. they're trying to figure out if I'm gay or not. <laughs> they're like, wait, is he? I don't know. It's all good, man. <laughs> yeah. Funny. Imagine they'd be able to guess. They. Ugh, it's weird because like, my taste has changed so much throughout the years. And what what do you say? You're what? What are you fucking with the most right now? Oh, if you were gonna like make a playlist oh. for me right now, you'd put what on there? Make a playlist to show you what I'm into. All right. Okay. 
Right, okay, I gotta think. Okay, actually, no, I was thinking about this, actually, because I had a feeling this would come up during the sort of... Of course. ...podcast, because, you know, music and that. Yeah, man. Right, okay, first things first. There was this um, band that I was introduced to about early 2020, maybe late 2019. Mm-hmm. They're a sort of small band called um, Brave Little Abacus. Mm-hmm. Um, they existed from about 2008 till 2012. Broke up. Had a very had about had two albums and a couple of EPs, and they were really small, but literally like they're one of my favorite bands ever. Right. Um. They're just like, it's hard to really like justify like why I love their music so much, mm. but they have like a thing when it comes to like telling a narrative in their own albums. They um, it's very expressive, very um, universal. I feel a lot right. of the themes they touch upon. And um, it's so strange. It's so I don't know. I'm trying to like think of how to describe it. Yeah, I'm who fucking you, tired as fuck. Who would you compare them to? Oh, that's the thing. Brave Abacus are a unique group in the fact that comparison can't really apply too well to them because they were an amalgamation of a lot of genres. Right. But what, I, if if I was to say? point one genre, it'd probably be emo. Yeah. That's like the one genre they kind of align with mm. the most. But that being said, you got folk, post rock, right. drone, all these different genres. They work. Are there with. any like? Do you ever listen to them and think you could pinpoint where their influences come in certain places? Well, um, oh God, that's a bit difficult as well. Mm. It's fair. Yeah, because um, it could be groups all the way from uh like early emo like rights of spring right um slightly real estate perhaps um and then artists like bruce springsteen even because and how they um deliver narratives and stuff like that Mm. um it was just it's this really interesting group that like it's really only known if you're like into internet music right okay by that well by internet music i mean music that's like very much discussed in internet Forums, communities, right, it's okay. known by those groups specifically if you're searching for it. Right, so it's not but like widespread stuff. No, not okay. quite widespread, but if you're in the know, you're in the know, very much. Right, and I get you. They're quite big in that sphere, but in terms of outside of that, they're not too big. Right. That being said, they've had a massive influence on a the newest state of emo, mm. which, um, at the, well, there's two types of emo. You got your, like, well, at the moment, I'd say there's two types of emo. You got your sort of artists like Jeff Rosenstock and that on one end yeah and then on the other end you got this like underground layer which is constantly experimenting I think it's post emo the label I can't remember though but mm. it's taking emo ideals and then advancing it forward it's yeah. trying to create something new with it and it's really interesting so you got Glass Beach that's one of the big ones uh, Weather Day is another really good artist from that uh, from this time uh, Asian Glow all sorts of different artists out there at the moment and it's really interesting seeing what they come from and whenever you, they've been asked about their influences at least you'll get at least six seven of ten groups if you put all these together a whole bunch of them will say brave little abacus is their main influence right because they really did pioneer that kind of movement at that time mm. because emo in the context of like 2010 yeah. was still very much like hey we can sound like american football or yeah. um, you had like a couple of artists outside of that, which were like sort of much harsher in their delivery. But in terms of like taking 
the con like taking the original sort of intention of emo and advancing it forward. Blavery Abacus were like the only kind of group at that time to sort of do that kind of thing. Right. I kind of rambled a lot there, but it's I good. really like them. It's good to a ramble. Lot. Um, if you want to take away anything from them, I think all their work is fantastic, but right. if you want to start somewhere, listen to their album Just Got Back from The Discomfort. Okay. It's a longer title, but um, that's the album you should probably start with. Yeah. It's a great fucking album. That. Alright, sweet. Well, I've got a question for you. So, Emo, I don't know that I listen to any Emo, and I would okay. say my I'd say my music taste is pretty eclectic. Spans yeah. a lot of genres. But, like, if I think of Emo... I think all of the music that I associate with that is just goth. Yeah. And I probably conflate the two. Yeah. So give me... What would you say is like the earliest emo that you listen to? Earliest emo? Well, the thing about emo is that it's... I especially I, I feel the, the, the meaning of emo has been kind of misconstrued in that throughout the years. And there's a lot of gatekeeping towards it. Yeah, I mean, like with you, any genre, yeah, right? Yeah, any genre has gatekeeping, but I think emo is very much one of the ones up there that has the most. Right. Because, you know, you see a lot of people that are like, girl, don't call MCR emo. They're not real emo, you know, that right, kind of okay. thing. But to me, like, emo, at the end of the day, is the expression of emotion in a very, like, kind of open way. It's being yeah. honest about that sort of expression. And um, it's very difficult kind of saying which would be, like, the first emo artists and that. Yeah. Um, but I, suppose, I suppose which would be the first artists that you would con- that you would consider to have the si- similar ideals to emo? I think... Um, ooh. Well, um, I mentioned Rights of Spring earlier. Mm-hmm. They were sort of, like, the first... One of the first, like, pure kind of amalgamations of emo. Um, but outside of that, in terms of artists that just sort of expressed emotion in a very confronted way, mm. I think Joy Bosian would be up there, for one thing. Right. Because Ian Curtis's, like, you know, style of approach with his lyricism is very much um, reflective of his own life in a very mm. interesting manner. Yeah. But it was often, like, covered through a lot of, um, by a lot of symbolism, especially in uh, Closer. The yeah. more I've, like, listened to that album, the more I've picked up on, like, it's kind of religious symbolism and stuff like that. Right. How that's kind of used to showcase the narrative that Ian Curtis, of how Ian Curtis is like coping right now. Mm-hmm. What, he, what he's experiencing in his own life. It's a very yeah. interesting sort of album that. Um, and I think you could probably link it to post-punk in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's because I think if, like, when I think of emo, for some reason I get Echo and the Bunnymen. But then yeah. my mind tells me that that's goth. Yeah. But then I think, God, why do we have to like label that so much? You know what I mean? Yeah. But well, um, in general, like. But yeah, Joy Division. I yeah. would think Joy Division, Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah, I is think... where emo comes in, and then even late late Nico stuff in a way. Would you say Would you say that falls into emo, or would you say that's goth? I haven't heard later Nico. The only oh, Nico I've heard the Marble Index. The only Nico I've heard is her album Desert Horse. Right. So that's the second solo. So that's yeah. like that's a really um a interesting album. album. Yeah. Yeah. I, all of her solo stuff's great. I think Desert Horse was... I can't remember who produced that, but she's got an album called The Marble Index. Yeah. Which, that's the poster for it there. Oh, yeah. Um, and she before, yeah. she had it produced by John Cale. Of the Velvet John Cale, yeah. And um, it's brilliant. Real, like... I think she's credited to a lot of people as, like, the beginning of goth. Yeah. From that I can album. See that. Um, Even with my kind of little experience with her music, yeah. like, outside of Desert Horse... Well, with just Desert Horse and obviously Velvet Underground and Nico, I do see that. Yeah. She had a very 
she had a way of expressing vulnerability on mm-hmm. some of those like projects, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, she also had a great way of like, I think what a lot of great bands that fall into that territory of like slightly goth, like Joy Division, yeah. like Echo and the Bunnymen, like Nico, they can merge such like beautiful instrumentals with such daunting themes yeah. and approaches and make them make like the counterpoints seem like just one level of music. Yeah. And it's incredible. And I think I think no Nico, no Nick Cave realistically. Yeah. I think she is like so underrated in terms of influence on the culture. The, uh, Nick Cave, what a wonderful artist he is as well. Yeah. I mean, what an absolutely brilliant bloke. Yeah. He's my mum's like a super fan. I think I'm gay because of my mum's interest in music and literature, to be honest. Because she she's like, you know, like majorly into um, like the Smiths and Smith, Nick Cave yeah. and Oscar Wilde and oh like vampires. God, I could. God, the Smiths. I could. Um, I've really like in the past few months really grown such an appreciation for The Queen Is Dead. Oh I've always man, loved, such I've a... always loved that album. But the more over time, when I think about what it's trying to do, mm. and like. Just thinking more about Morrissey's lyricism on that album specifically, it's such an interesting album. Yeah. Like, um, oh God, I'm, try- I'm trying to think about it now because this is kind of a long, kind of rambly thing that I got to think about. Yeah. Again, dead school and shit. It just kills me. But um, rise above. Come on, we're on a podcast. It's this sort of good. like Morrissey, kind of like I feel like with the Queen is dead. Morrissey tries strives to sort of make comments on art itself. Yeah. And how through artistic vision, um, inherently, when you're trying to approach something, it can kind of be inherently constraining. Mm. Like, if you're trying to, like, express emotion through artistry, it could be inherently constraining because you're only encapsulating that emotion into one vision. Right. Where emotion is varied, it's wide. And I think, in some sense, Morrissey is kind of commenting on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... um, and so through that, um, he uses a lot of sarcasm through that album, and he like paints himself as a not entirely great human being. Which I mean, obviously, yeah. go outside of that, no. But like <laughs> within the context of the album, I think it makes his, I, mean, I think it makes the vessel that he like portrays more interesting. Mm. And um, it's such a, it, and the, the more I think about it, the more of a weird decision I think it is that the album ends with um, some girls are bigger than others. Yeah, because it seems time, such a counterpoint to the whole like tongue in cheek yeah. humor that he uses think to about, cover his. The darkness. more I think about like him portraying himself as like a character in that, it's um the more I think about how he's trying to sort of, you know, deliver his approach. I think it's a genius move how he ends it with that album. Mm. The more I think about it, and that's to say that's not even to say that's the best song on the album because I think that's I think the whole album works really well cohesively. Yeah. Um, I think I'd have ba- just based on an emotional resonance, um, I know it's over. Probably sticks the most out to me. Yeah, I love that song so much. That's a very, that's probably the lowest point on the album. Yeah. Not in terms of quality, in terms of um, mood. Mood, yeah. It's incredibly daunting that song. Yeah. God, it's one you really need to avoid when you're feeling horrendous, right? God, yeah. You have to skip, like when you're listening to the Smiths for a bit of comfort. Yeah. Got to skip that one. But I see what you mean. Are there any like part, any lyrical extracts from that song that really stick out to you? I know it's over and it never really began, but in my heart, something, something. I can't quite it was remember. So real. It. it was so real. Yeah. Yeah. In my heart, it was so real. That's a specific lyric that really stands mm. out to me because it's like. 
what does he interpret as love there? You know. Yeah. Because um, I mean, what we know as about him as a person. Yeah. Love isn't exactly an ingredient in the cake of Morrissey's life, is it? You know? <laughs> yeah, but like, even just in the context of like, just focusing on that song alone, mm. with nothing else outside of that, when you think about like how love in itself is like perceived as many different things by everyone, right. it's like, I don't believe there is like one true definition to love personally. Yeah. I think it could be experienced in different ways. For sure. It's like, what did Mar? It's like what did Morrissey take away from this connection that he had with this person, mm. and um, how is he going to be left with that? Yeah. And what does he consider so real about it? Mm. And I really find that so fascinating about that song. Yeah, that's a really good point you made there about like there is no one love to anything yeah. because emotions in in part are determined by thoughts yeah and your thoughts are obviously products of every single thing you've ever seen in your life right yeah which is exclusive to every single person and i've been thinking about that a lot lately about how there's no truth really to anything except yeah. for to one person individually there's truth yeah but you step outside of an individual perspective and nothing is true right yeah and because when you think about it it's like what we define as truth is still based on the world that's constructed around us. Yeah, I think as such emotional creatures, you can't have any real truths except for really scientific facts. Yeah. Like, I breathe oxygen, you breathe oxygen, our hearts pump blood. Yeah. Facts. When it comes to feelings, you can't. You can't say anything is fact, really. You know, you can't even say you know you feel a certain way. Yeah. 100%. Because feelings change so much. And the more you know, the more you know about your own feelings. And then yeah, the shit evolves. And I've, I was thinking about that a lot. While I was in um, isolation, I had a lot of time. And I'm currently working on a visual media project, which is sort of like a video opinion article. And um, I thought, right. I need to watch loads of Louis Three while I'm in lockdown. Yeah. Get the get like the critical opinions flowing. And um I watched some of his stuff that I hadn't seen. So I've seen all of the early stuff, all of the like humorous stuff. I don't know how much yeah. you've seen of Louis Through. And then a lot of the newer stuff is bleak. And it's not half of it's bleak, half of it's quite fun, but it's all more serious topics and he looks yeah. at them in the in a more um appreciative way. Where I think his early stuff he was like yeah. He was looking at things to laugh at them. Yeah. But then the newer stuff, extent, yeah. the newer stuff, it's more he he really is trying to understand things. Yeah. And I saw his so episode that, like, with the yeah. polyamory people. Oh. And poly is like an abstract concept to me. Yeah. I believe in, in exclusive love for myself in the yeah. sense of I definitely couldn't have a relationship that was open. Yeah. And I couldn't share a human being that I loved with another person that loved them. Yeah. So watching that poly episode was really was a real revelation yeah, to me um, to see how people yeah did that and it opened my eyes to it. I assumed it would be like just hateful. You know, this is really interesting actually because um, it's funny I actually bring up the poly thing. Right. Because two weeks ago I figured out I was poly. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting and it's like 
it's clear to me you have a sort of different perception of how you experience love. Yeah. And I have a different perception too. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Because, again, like, that sort of adds to my point that, you know, we all sure. experience love in different forms. Yeah. We all have different perceptions of what makes love, what it is, what it means to us, and how we want to mm. express it. And um, to me, um, it's something that I've always, like, you know, thought about throughout my life. Yeah. For it, like, be uh, the typical breakup or just, like, in a general perspective of just analyzing those around me. Like yeah. just, I think about like some people around the, around me in their lives and how like they've interacted with the concept of love, how yeah. it's tarnished them and also how it's sort of changed their character and kind of going back to the whole being tarnished by it. Yeah. I think that's because um, socially we're all, I think socially there's an idea of love that like we're all pushed towards yeah you know to me that to me some of that is to do with the idea that love can only be experienced through a two-person relationship right and how it's like oh to achieve to some people anyways um mm -hmm. love can only be achieved if you're with someone mm. if, if you're in a relationship in like if an you're exclusive not, yeah, binary relationship if you're in an exclusive relationship and um if you can get that then um you're fucked. You're fucked, yeah. Yeah. And I look at how it's fucked over some people in my life. Mm. I've known all sorts of different people during my life. It's been interesting, kind of... I've lived a kind of very interesting life, I feel. Yeah. Because I've been surrounded by all sorts of different characters. Mm -hmm. And I feel through that, it's given me this current perception that I have. A yeah. lot about emotion and in the context of love, that as well. I think that is a really... Sorry to sort of interrupt on the point, and I definitely want to continue that. But I think that is one of the great things about Plymouth. As many faults as there are to Plymouth. I was speaking to a friend who comes from Scotland. And he was saying, there are so many people just crammed into Plymouth. Like, yeah, you have, in like the space of two streets. Like this street, in 2015, this street was the most deprived street in Plymouth. And a, around the corner, attached to this street, was the highest price of houses on any street in Plymouth. Right. And literally right next door to, like, there are so many types of people just crammed in this place. Yeah. So you get such a great perception of how things are yeah. and how people really think. That's Sorry, back to the like, point, but I just wanted to say, yeah. I think that's a really beautiful thing about Plymouth. I agree with that. Um, kind of trailing off now, going into that, but um, no, I completely agree with you there because um, I've met so many like different types of people in Plymouth and it's given me such a wide perspective on things. Mm. Like, I think with um, some other places in the UK, it can kind of become very like trivial in terms of who you meet because yeah. you can probably come across a lot of similar characters, even though you know I'm a firm believer in everyone as their own individual. Yeah. Um, but with Plymouth especially, so much diversity. Well, maybe not in terms of race because there's mm. a lot of problems with that here. Yeah. But specifically with um, LGBT communities, I think. For sure. When I think about other places in the UK and how there's a lot of people who are scared to open up about themselves in Plymouth, yeah, I will just go into town and I will see like a lot of people have like trans flags around them, yeah, and just expressing their identity in a, such an open and beautiful way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting to me. Yeah, how people can feel safe here to do that such do that kind of thing. Mm. And um, in general, I just think that's a really I think the expression of individuality and your own person, just mm. being confident in that is really something to admire. Yeah, uh, I think it's because we're, 
relatively like a new city in the sense of we were sort of split into I think it was Devonport and Plymouth was just town. Yeah. And then you had um, like Plimstock. And these are just three separate towns and Swilly, where we are right now, is just a big pig farm. <laughs> and then eventually yeah. it's become a city. And I think we've never been a proper city. We yeah. are a city. We've got a university, we've got a chapel and all that. Yeah. But we're not we're not Bristol, we're not Exeter. Yeah. We're not London. We've never been. And I think there's less of a um there's less of a focus on exclusivity in Plymouth. Yeah. In the sense of um I think also what helps that is that we have a Labour Council. Yeah. But we have a lot of Tory constituencies yeah but a labor council so you have a lot of people who have accepted okay maybe i like this one yeah this one political side of plymouth but there's another side too and i'm just gonna have to get on with that right and i think a lot of people have just learned i mean if you go to a pub around here yeah you'll have so many people with the common goal of getting pissed (laughs) one of them voted for boris johnson and one of them voted for keir starmer yeah but they're just getting pissed (laughs) you know and I think yeah. it's it's good that... And then, like, in the backs, you'll have, like, people who are, like, communists and that. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I think it is yeah. nice that that you can just merge merge these things here. And I definitely know that as, like... You know, I went to an all-boys secondary school. I was the only gay person there. Yeah. Whenever I see these guys in in, in a pub in town now, it's hugs and it's laughs, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's odd because speaking to, like, gay friends outside of Plymouth, that's not the shared experience. Yeah. You don't merge... Sort of the football lads, the boxing gym people, and homosexuals. Yeah. That's not how it happened. But, you know, I... You say in that sense that, like, and like other places in the UK, Plymouth may not have, like, a fully defined identity. Yeah, and I think brilliant. I think that's so good. You know, I think... I agree with that, yeah. I I mean, even on a personal level, I think I don't really know what kind of person I am, right? Yeah. But I think that's great. And I, I remember I heard David Bowie talk about how he never wanted to be defined in his image and in his music. And I mean, you look at anything that guy did. Yeah. No two albums were the same. No two outfits were the same. No two Absolutely. films were the same. And I think it's so brilliant to be able to accept, no, we don't have an identity here. You know, we just go with it. And yeah. we accept other things and we learn and experience. And I think that's so great, man. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think there definitely are groups that have their identity, right? You know, there are groups that like the football. And there are groups that like yoga yeah. and there are groups that go to work every day and there are groups that don't go to work every day but they all move in other circles too i think yeah and i think that's such yeah it's such a great thing about plymouth i think it's so bad to sort of get tied into like the identity of a place too much yeah because it does limit you right yeah it does limit you and i think it's it definitely constrain you to an extent yeah and so having and so being in an environment which like is a lot more free in the sense of like Okay, mm. you don't necessarily have to conform to this attitude. You can just yeah. live your life. You well, know? it's interesting because last year I worked on a documentary which marked the 20th anniversary of a homophobic killing in Central Park. All right. Don't know if you heard about that, but I in did, yeah. 1990 there was a murder in the park. So like Central Park was a gay cruising area, and um, two men were in there one day, and like a gang of four people set upon them, murdered one of them, and left the other brain dead. And I did like a micro documentary about it and I collaborated with this guy called Alan who um, who like runs a little archive of LGBT stuff in Plymouth. So just in Stonehouse, he's got this little office, completely public. He lets anyone in and it's got all of this stuff back from like the 50s of LGBT existence in Plymouth. 
And it's so cool. That's really and interesting. I got to speak to a man who was friends with these people. Yeah. And he was saying how it was so different then to be gay in Plymouth. You know, only 20 years, 30 years ago, but it was such yeah. a different experience. And the police, surprisingly enough, back then, put the effort in with the community to, to help, right? Yeah. And I think that's probably a difference that doesn't happen in many cities. Police decided they would help, right? Yeah. And I think there was still definitely hate there because I know that the guy who killed those people received a lot of fan mail in jail from people in Plymouth. Okay. So there definitely was that, that level of hate there. But I think having that made it so public yeah. where most people have it hidden that I think if you have an unchallenged homophobic belief and you... For some, for whatever reason, you're in a sort of echo chamber of people who feel a similar way, and you know maybe you let the odd faggot slip now and then or something. And that's one level of it. But then if you get to see that two people have been murdered, in the name of something that you in yourself have practiced in a smaller way, I think that can ma- open you up to how brutal that really is, yeah. and maybe make you challenge what you think. It, yeah. If that makes sense. That was a real tangent there. I don't really know if it was pieced together, but yeah, I think because of that. There was definitely, in terms of LGBT, there was, I think people were more aware of yeah. how important it was to stop the hate in that in that aspect. Obviously, I race, I think definitely there are many problems around racism in Plymouth. Yeah. Um, I still think that does sort of persist. Yeah. There as well, because like, well, I remember I had like a sort of, there was like a sort of discussions I heard in like, around groups in my school about this sort of thing. And how statistically, spe- well, I mean, I don't really refer to statistics generally because I don't think it's reliable usually. Yeah. But like, just even when you like go to a public crowd or something in Plymouth, how many white people do you see around you, and how many say non-white individuals yeah. do you see? And it's like troubling ratio. Yeah, it's a very like white-leaning community, mm. and um, I do think that does trickle around, obviously, into discrimination. I think especially. Um, younger generations the ones i've been around yeah. those that like are le- leaning towards dis- more discriminatory values they push it i've had that sort of experience in my school i am um, god i remember years back um i've changed so much as a person throughout my life mm-hmm. and years back i was very much surrounded by communities well i was surrounded by groups of people in that that were very discriminatory in their beliefs very like persistent on like one identity of ruling the rest mm-hmm. that kind of standard yeah. and um you know it, it, it did alter my perception i oh, won't shit. sorry that's all good let me turn that off <laughs> your dad is just gonna like comment on me he's like oh yeah i was one of them geezers literally yeah what are you slagging me off <laughs> oh you're slagging my chicken suit off mate <laughs> well, i'm sorry about that um that's all good but yeah no i've like I won't sugarcoat it. I was in a very... I was pretty bad in terms mm. of... Even though I don't believe there is... Well, what makes a good bad person and all that. But, like, I, I did I did engage in a lot of bad behaviour right. years back. I was into a lot of discriminatory beliefs. Not right. far off to the point where, like, it projected, like, physical violence. Mm. But I did project a lot of, like, discriminatory language. Yeah. Because in the groups and communities I was in, it was normalised. 
Mm. But then I got out of that when I started to meet people who had different perspectives. Yeah, well, that's when I educated myself. That's the important myself, thing, isn't it? Yeah. That a lot yeah, of people exactly. don't. A lot of people don't get that. A lot of people don't yeah. have the chance in other cities, in other particularly small towns, right? Yeah. People don't get the chance at an early age to meet other people. Yeah. And to see other opinions on things. I think it's really it's really good that you've said that. That you've said, you know, maybe yeah, I had different opinions before I got to meet people that thought in yeah. a different way. Because I think I do believe that, like in terms of like the spaces you're within, it does mm -hmm. like confine you to being a certain individual. I mean, everyone's their own self, but at the end of the day, yeah, there's a lot of similarities in between what people can believe. And in those groups I was in, including myself for quite a while, I was accustomed to like one trait. Yeah. There's like several common traits between each other. Mm -hmm. And then I met more people outside of that who had a much wider perspective mm -hmm. and they educated me and I learned a lot through them. And yeah. now because of that, I, for one, a much happier person because I'm so much less hateful. Mm -hmm. Genuinely, it comes a long way being less hateful yeah, for in the sure. world. Um, and, you know, learning that that hate was, that hate was built off of untruth and yeah. misinformation um, well, there's a there's a quote about resent, right? And I think that's the thing with racists. Yeah. If you can believe that other that another group of people are to blame for your troubles, you get resentful. And yeah. there's a great quote about resent, which is um. Holding on to resent is like swallowing poison and waiting for someone else to get sick. Yeah. Right. You're only damaging yourself, aren't you? If you hold on to hate, and um. Yeah, I think it's really important. To see, for it's really important that you've said that and that can be out there yeah. and people can hear that because the thing is, the thing that makes a racist usually nine times out of ten is another racist. Yeah, it's not an experience with a different race or a different gender or sexuality. It's being taught by somebody else to behave like that, yeah. right? And I think something that is missing from the conversation right now, and I. No, this, there's trouble here that I could sound like a white supremacist sympathiser or a racist sympathiser, which is certainly not the case. But I think for developing minds, the conversation lacks sympathy in terms of young people who express hateful views. I see that. And I think the worry with jumping down somebody's throat who, who projects a, a discriminatory view at a young age is that you push them further. Right. And I think it's really important to understand where it comes from. You know, like it comes from not having experience with other people and other opinions and having someone else tell you how to think. That's where the problem comes from. And I remember I first started thinking about this when I watched This Is England. Because okay. it gave me a complete new perspective on race. Yeah. And why people are racist. You know, like little Sean in the film. I'm assuming you've seen the film. Yeah. I've seen and the little film, yeah. Sean. Is definitely not a racist person. But in that moment, in the time period that the film is set, he becomes racist. Because he's told to be racist and he's vulnerable yeah. and he clings to it. And I think we need, if we're going to stamp things like that out, we need to open up a little bit yeah. and accept fault in... We need to accept some damage in preparation for more... Yeah prosperity right if anything i think it does like refer to like that wider perspective at the end of the day that like we are all 
controlled in some form by the environment we grow up in, mm-hmm. by the society we live in. <laughs> yeah. Society. Society. But, uh, society. Society, dude, it's fucked. <laughs> but there's truth to that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, but like, yeah. you know, we are all kind of products of like what we grow up around because like we yep. become, a, we grow attached with the certain traits. We become sort of, yeah, no, we become attracted to traits and that which are promoted. It's comfort, and, right? Um, yeah, and you I like feel especially know. at a younger age, you become vulnerable mm. to that, to those aspects. For me, I was vulnerable. There was this this period I'm referring to back then, when I was talking about how I was ushered into like discrimination. This was like when I was about twelve to sixteen, between the between that age gap, mm-hmm. and um, what specifically pushed? I remember what specifically pushed me out of that was my friend May. Um, she basically came to me at the right time when I was starting to become distant from these groups, and mm-hmm. I was like. I need to get out of this, but I don't know how to get out of this because I didn't really have a lead way out. Right. I didn't like have anyone to go to really. Right. But she came at basically the perfect time in my life, and not only did she like you know give me a space to exit out of it, but she educated me. She rightfully did call me out on a lot yeah. of my behaviors that I was engaging with that weren't great, mm. and through that I do believe I've become a better person because yeah. not only have I pushed against those like problems in my life in the past i've really educated myself yeah and i'm and with that i'm trying to educate others as well i mm. mean i don't i don't really have like a wider platform to express that outside of like yeah. my twitter page <laughs> but right. um you know i do believe it's important to educate people i do believe it's yeah, like sure. if you want to encourage some level of change you gotta like you know approach people and just you know really like educate them get mm-hmm. I mean, of course. yeah definitely and I think it's good that you can accept being educated yeah I think a lot of people can't I think a lot of people get to a certain point where if they get too comfortable post teenagehood they get to they get to think that they don't need to learn right yeah and there's no sense in educating themselves because they know what they know and it makes them comfortable I think it's great that that you got to see that earlier yeah so you could move out of it you know we had we had such a good point going about the poly thing, the poly thing and we well, just yeah. God, I pulled it out and I, I do remember a bit of it. I yeah. didn't get to push it back in. Oh, fucking terrible story I made. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. Um, but God, I I do remember some of the points, so mm-hmm. I can help I, with that. I think we got to. Where did we get to? So we were talking about... Um, um, got to your brother singing KSO in the other room. Apparently. Oh, bless him. He's got such a poor taste in music, that boy. <laughs> um, yeah, so the thing with love, I think we got onto love not being true for any one person. Yeah. And I think, because I mean, I don't even know you were Polly, but while I was watching the documentary, it gave me a complete new perspective on it because I was only thinking about Polly from my own point of view from how I would experience it. Yeah. And then seeing these other people experience it, I realised, well, okay, my experience of it isn't how other people are going to experience it. And what I need for one relationship, other people don't need. And you made a really interesting point when you'd said that, I feel like I can give you the the beginning, maybe you can take on from there. All right. Um, you were saying that, fuck, I can just hear my brother singing very faintly. It's <laughs> pulling my mind in all directions. Um, you were saying that most people force themselves into relationships 
that are binary because yeah. that's how we've just that's how it's been socialised. That's how to be because like you know we're, I think a lot of us are well majority of us are conditioned to believe in that love can only be truly experienced through mm. like one vessel that being the relationship right. the idea that you're with someone else that you have someone to share that love with yeah. and that's the only avenue you can experience true love um, if anything I think that like this is a bit of a separate tangent, but it does remind me of um, the person that was that committed that crime in Plymouth a few months back, yep. the shooter. Yeah. Because let's um, not say his name because I hate the yeah. whole like saying their name thing. All right. And making yeah. them famous, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember his name anyway, so right, that's right. good. But sweet. I do remember like seeing like all these articles about him and his like sort of like obsession and how like he was also obsessed with the idea of love as well yeah and how that arguably like and love to I him was sex him. Right? yeah because um he did partake in a lot of like incel type communities and that yeah it's not I mean, just for full, that full out. incel community that, yeah. yeah he self-identified as an incel yeah he identified as one yeah and like if anything that's sort of reflective of a wider sort of issue i think i think especially with um men I yeah. think they're especially conditioned into the idea of like, we need to experience love in some way, we, yeah. one, one way. I think and, it's um, yeah. I think it's troubling that sex is pulled into that. Yeah. I think, and I think there are so many problems feeding into the incel thing right now. Yeah. Re- like genuinely, I don't like to um, as someone who is involved in media in a way, this podcast is certainly a form of media. I really don't like to scaremonger and dramatise, but the concept of incel and that community is really worrying. I agree. Genuinely very worrying. Because it's the expression of what I was kind of talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's... Being attached to love. It's a new expression of hate, though. Yeah, and it transcends into hate. It transcends into violence. Mm. And it's worrying. Absolutely it's worrying. And I think... One aspect of it, and I don't want to say this is the whole problem, because with something like this, there are so many issues that you can see feeding into this problem. Yeah. But I think it ties into a conversation I was having the other day with a friend, and it's something I've always been aware of, that I don't associate sex with love at all. Yeah. I really like exclusivity of love. I like being in relationships with people. But I've never sought sex in a relationship I've definitely sought sex outside of relationships and wanted and craved sex, but not while I've been in a relationship. That's interesting. Yeah. And I've never had sex with anybody that I've been in love with, completely honestly. Hope that's okay for me to say on here. I hope I'm not offending anyone when I say that, but I haven't. Yeah. I've had brilliant moments with people, but I haven't loved them, but I've loved the moment maybe. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend about it and he was saying he thinks that might that he had a similar feeling, no association between love and sex. And maybe that was porn. Maybe that was porn desensitising us to sex. I think yeah. maybe it was, but I think that's not a bad thing. I, I don't porn... think it's a bad thing yeah. to associate, to not associate love and sex. Because I think on the extreme side of when someone only associates their lovability with how sexually attractive they are, you get what happened in Kiam to yeah. a degree. I don't want to Maybe I shouldn't say that because I think there are so many issues that feed into it. Yeah. But you see, you know, day, if you see the videos yeah. of him. He really felt like he was an unattractive human being yeah. and through being unattractive was unlovable. And I that's fucked up, you know? Yeah. It's fucked up. No one's uh no one's unlovable to anybody, really. No, yeah. 
you know, anyone can be loved. Yeah. Right. And this culture that we've got right now that sort of makes everybody think if they don't look like they could be on MTV, then they're a yeah. worthless piece of shit. I hate that so much. I hate that so much. Because, yeah. It's stupid. It's so stupid, you know? So, yeah, it's like, in a similar way, like, you know, we have, like, a lot of people conditioned to preconceived ideas of what attraction is, mm. what is attractive, what is ugly, you know? There's a really interesting, um, in my English studies, I'm doing a um, book, well, a collection of poems called Feminine Gospels. Nice. And, um, are these your poems or are these collecting other people's these are poems? Collection of, this, these are like collections of like, uh, it's a collection of poems written by the author, Karen uh, Duffy, her name is. Oh, okay. It's a really good collection. Right, 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 yeah. Um, there's this one specific poem called The Diet, which is focused on the idea, well, it's the narrative of um, a character has an attachment to a beauty standard and mm. wants to achieve that, or at least wants to achieve an idealized body type. And they strive to do that. And um, it's a promoted idea within this like world that this character lives in. Mm. That they should look like this and they'll be attractive. They look like that and they try to look like this. But as a result through that, their obsession leads them to become unhealthy. Leads them to degrade. It leads them to become like detached from others. And through that, discrimination comes in. They become a discriminated person. And by the end of the text, when they when they've become defined by that idea um they still aren't accepted into that society right they still aren't considered attractive you know mm -hmm. and i think that's a really interesting sort of text to sort of refer to here yeah because i think that feeds into that like idea of um you know what is a, what is considered attractive yeah and all that and to me i don't think there is any basis for attraction at all i don't think there's mm. like there is no such thing as defined ugliness or beauty and that's a well that's it's the, it's the same um same it's a different side to the same coin isn't it of no love is is true to everyone yeah and no attraction can be yeah and i think also it sounds like that poem maybe touches on the fact that um if you believe yourself to be imperfect no matter of change is going to make you perfect yeah. if you can't accept imperfection and a, and seek a way to be perfect you'll never be content yeah ever you'll constantly hate yourself you know there's something i want to pull from which like i spe which specifically honestly got me to start thinking about this and it refers to more sexualness mm -hmm. but i think it can still be applied to love and attraction right um i have a lot of friends who identify as asexual okay. and um i'm not asexual myself but I've like listened to a lot of their perspectives and how they view the idea of sex and like sexualness and mm -hmm. what is considered sexual in that. And you know, before I even met any of these people, I had like you know a straightforward idea of what sexualness is, and I thought like, oh, it's this one idea that everyone knows what it is. And then when I was speaking to some of these people, uh, they sort of mentioned the idea of like how, um, well, what do you define as sexual? what do you think can be experienced sexually? Mm. And then that kind of made me think about sexual enjoyment and how, like, some people have sex, but they don't sexually enjoy it. But right. some people could, like, I don't know, say, get their dick sucked or something like that, and they sexually enjoy that instead. Yeah. Or they don't. Or they just, you know? it's. Mm -hmm. It got me thinking about how, like, there is no defined experience with sex well sex and sexualness there was no like sort of 
yeah. pure definition of and what even is with, um, sexually enjoyed. With labels like asexual, yeah. you can't define somebody with that because yeah. the asexual people I know, there's no common thread of what they do and don't enjoy. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there was, and there was definitely a point where I believed I was asexual. Yeah, and that comes into the what you were saying about how we're conditioned to be a certain way sexually and yeah. romantically. Um, I believed for for quite a while that because I didn't love, I didn't have sex with people that I loved, and I didn't have any desire to have sex with people that I loved, that I was asexual. Yeah. But it was just that I was having unenjoyable sex when I wasn't ready to have sex. Yeah. So that's another thing. We we all get pressured into having sex. We all think, you yeah. know, let's have sex. It's if this. You, if you feel ugly, have sex. Society. You'll feel better. Yeah. It's You'll feel good about yourself. Word. And it doesn't work. And it made me think I was I was asexual because um. Because yeah. I didn't enjoy the sex I was having. And I think from that, and I don't have an experience of being asexual because I never was. Yeah. But through thinking I was, I got a sense of the stigma of feeling like, am I broken? Yeah. I can imagine that's a really difficult thing to, to feel. Um, can we talk about your realisation of your poly? My poly? Yeah. Yeah, sure. It came to me... Oh. Obviously, I've been thinking about, like, you know, my own perception of love and that for quite a while. Um, there was a period between early 2020 and 2021 where I was in no relationships. Mm. Um, I'm still in a relationship with someone now. Yeah. Um, I've been in a relationship with her since February. Right. But um, basically, um, between that period, I was reflecting a lot on my own experiences with love and, like, how I experienced that mm-hmm. and what I got from it and how, you know, there was a lot of sort of naivety that I went through in terms of how I like perceived love mm-hmm. during that time and how I internalized a lot of hurt from that into kind of toxic behaviors. But through during that period, it really got me like sort of reflecting on myself and I'm like, well, what do I want from love? What do I like think about with love and that? Mm. And you know, with this relationship I've been in, I've been really happy with myself and that. And then I like sort of realized during this time where like, I, like, grew to sort of... I don't know, like, obviously this person I place above all else. She's my top priority. Um, I realised that, like, I felt strong feelings in different ways outside of that relationship. I realised... As in towards myself. other people? Towards other people, yeah. And I realized that sort romantic. of thing. I don't know. Because, right. again, it's like, what do you find as sexual, what do you find as romantic? But whatever it was... It was a sort of feeling that, like, I felt could only be experienced in a relationship context. Right, okay. And, so it's um, like the like the feeling of everything in the middle of it. Yeah, very much so. And obviously I can't speak to anyone else's experience with Polly. This mm. is my own experience, my own interpretation of it. But, right. like, about two weeks ago, about, like, two weeks ago now, I was having, I spoke to my girlfriend. I had this conversation with her about this exactly about how, hey, I think I'm Polly. Mm. And um turned out she was Polly as well. So actually um made it more comfortable because before that I was kind of worried. I was like, oh shit, mm. what's this going to do? Is this going to end everything? Oh my God. Did you th- but now it like... I'm curious to know, was there any worry of, are they going to just think that I want to have sex with other people? Was that, what? what was the biggest worry that you had when that you thought what was the biggest thing you worried about them thinking when you were to say that 
before I like said that, my biggest thing that like I was worrying about that that moment was sort of like how she would perceive me at that point. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I I will she just perceive me as like someone who's irresponsible with my love right. towards her? Is it like, is she gonna think that I've diminished my love to her? Mm. That kind of thing. And I think again that kind of like refers back to like what we consider love as love and all that. Yeah, you know. Um, I was sort of worried about like the state of the relationship and if things would fizzle out mm. or she would distance because again I have very this is kind of a personal thing but I have very strong anxiety in terms of attachment to other people right you know just attachment in general and like losing people because I love a lot of people in my life okay but, um, you know that idea that was kind of running through my head but then I <laughs> what kind of helped was that um I was with my friend friend May, and I was peeking on edibles at that point, <laughs> and I was completely fucking out of it. Fuck. So, um, you know, my friend, so my friend is like helping me formulate a message, helping me construct this message of what I wanted to say as best as I could. Right. And I did that, and it worked just fine. Mm. It worked completely fine, and we're still happy together. Nice. That makes me feel really happy about myself. So, were you on edibles when you told them that? Yeah, basically. Fuck, that's so great. Yeah, that's so great that you're but, like, right. I need to, I need to put this out there. I need you to know that my sexual orientation is is adjusted slightly. Let's take edibles. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's great because it's like when when you're were they on edibles too? Oh no no no. Right. Oh okay. wait no, I don't think I explained this shit. Um, no, it's a long distance relationship. Right. Okay. Yeah, but still, I think it's great because then. Because your headspace is so open at that point. Yeah. You're pretty much ready for anything, right? Yeah. Was that, would that be fair to say? I'm kind of speaking for you there, but I don't know. Is that is that fair to say that maybe you were ready for more um, versatility in the response because you were on edibles, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. I felt more with that response. I was just really confident about what I had to say. Because often I'm very anxious to get my point across to people. But right. In that context, I had a lot of confidence. So yeah. I had no trouble expressing how I felt. But at the same time, my consciousness, my consciousness was still properly there mm-hmm. to the point where I, you know, could remain respectful, of course, and all that. Yeah. And my main point that I wanted to get addressed in that message was, like, you know, the idea of boundaries and just respecting boundaries and, like, being right. like, hey, no matter what, I want to place you above everyone else and I want to know what you're comfortable with. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we had a discussion with that, of course. And uh, yeah. through that... Um, you know, with her being poly as well, we talked back and forth, and, um, you know, we both came to the conclusion that, like, we're both completely fine with doing whatever we want with other people. Yeah. There is essentially no boundary, which... Right. Cool for me. Yeah. I'm comfortable with that, but, I, again, that's different in other poly relationships, because, again, I've met different people who are in mm. different poly relationships, and they do have boundaries. Right. They do have sort of certain extents that they can go to to express things. Mm-hmm. And, um... You know, some people are comfortable with that and that's cool you know mm. and it's quite nice to just sort of have the room to express myself fully and remain happy yeah because I, I mean this is kind of a wider thing in general about my whole life i found with this year specifically the more i've realized my own self the more i've been open about myself i've been much happier mm. than i ever really have before yeah and that's a really good thing for me yeah i mean from an outside perspective, I think you seem very free right now. Yeah. You know? I think you definitely have a sense of where you're at right now. 
and you seem quite comfortable, which is nice to see in a friend. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Like I can definitely see that you feel like you seem lighter. If yeah. that makes sense. I get that. Like there's point, less yeah. weight. Not in a like physical way, like, yeah. oh you've lost weight. As in, you know, you seem like there's less weight on your shoulders, so to speak. Oh, it's just the drugs. It's just the drugs. I'm just <laughs> fucked, that, man. Uh, I've got seven zannies in my blood right now. Oh, I snorted a quick one before I'm about this to die. <laughs> I snorted before this podcast, man. Now that both of us are like that, like, you know, clip of Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> With that right big now. doobie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's the both of us oh, right that now. Oh, so funny. Um, it's so funny that that made him so much money, fucking... Just taking a little toke on a doobie. God, yeah. Christ. And yeah, and uh, the amount of money it's made him in image as well. Oh, yeah. The amount it did to cement his image as the Elon Musk. God, yeah. From smoking that joint. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And he didn't even inhale. Bloody George Bush motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even take it back, yeah, for God's sake. Fucking, um... But yeah, no, um... Jonah you know really helped me, like, sort of experience, like, freeness. Go on. Online spaces. Because... In what sense? Online spaces in the sense that, like, I met my friend May again. I'm going to refer to her again because I think she's probably been the most, the biggest inspiration in my life mm-hmm. right now. She's really helped me a lot with my life. But, um, she, like, at that time I met her, she added me to the screw chat filled with all sorts of people that knew about music or attached to, like, art and loved talking about it. Mm. And um, I was like, yeah, this is really cool. And I started talking to some of these people, and it's really nice. Yeah. And through this, I entered different spaces. This is actually how I met my girlfriend as well. Met her through these communities. And through this, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the wider world, even. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of the perceptions I have right now are inspired by some of those conversations I remember people having in these yeah. group chats and that. And... Um, it's through this as well because when you're in a sort when you're in a sort of environment where I can where you're allowed to express yourself comfortably and just be yourself, that was really mm. nice because at that point I didn't really have anywhere else I could go. Yeah. Because I was keeping a lot of things secret about myself to people. Mm. And most people I was surrounded by at that time who I was seeing regularly, they were pretty not great people. Right, okay. But some are pretty bad people. But Having that like avenue where I could sort of express myself comfortably was a really lovely thing for me, mm. and I really do cherish that a lot. I, in fact, I'm still in a lot of these communities. A lot of these yeah. people I've known for nearly two years now, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting to me how wide communication can go. Because yeah. Some of these people I talk to, I like hear from every day and stuff. Some of them live in America. Some of them live in Europe. There's one who lives in Indonesia. Yeah. It's like all these people that live all over the world and that. Yeah. But I know these people. There's a sense of like, even though we're all our own, we're our, we're ah, I can't speak. <laughs> even though we're our own it's individuals. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the tripping <laughs> bulls, man. I'm thinking, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, even though we're our own individual, it's that like idea that there's still something universal about us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, one trait that I know. Obviously, is and and this is something I think even people kind of gloss over, like one trait that like is universal between all of us all. The one thing that unifies us all together for certain is that we exist. Mm. We exist, and, and we're, we're in breathing. the same place. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah, we're like living our lives, and we could choose to do whatever you want with that. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. For like, 
a good amount of time, for like a long time even, I had like a lot of thoughts of like wanting to die mm. because I just hated my life and I hated yeah. a lot of the circumstances I was in. Felt felt very detached to people. Yeah. And um, I gotta say, being in these spaces that values their experience of life. Yeah. Seeing specifically in my own case as well, but you know, obviously, uh, well, in my own case, I saw um, a lot of my trans friends express happiness in just being themselves mm. even some of my trans friends who like weren't allowed who, who like are not able to like openly publicly talk about themselves to people showcase mm. themselves and whatever they want they, they want to the fact that they even had like just a chat like a section of like a discord server or something the fact that they even just had that just to say like i'm a boy and i'm proud of that or anything really the fact that they even had that space is just something that's really stuck with me a lot. Because mm. it's like, no matter what, no matter what situation you're in, you can still experience happiness. You can still experience sure. happiness within your life in some form. Mm. And that made me really cherish life. And for about a, for about over a year now, I have not had the urge for suicide. Mm. I've not had any suicidal thoughts because I'm really, like... And taking comfort in the fact that I am alive and I can choose yeah. to do what I want with that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant space to be in because once you've gone through that and then you think, and then you realise you do enjoy life, you realise, shit, there's so much. Now that I've yeah. found, this, now that I found these people, I know there are other people. Yeah. Once I've gotten interested in this thing, I know there are other things. Once I hear this album, I know there are more albums. Yeah. Once I get to this pub, I know there's another pub. Yeah. You know? It's like, oh, Good that's guys, yeah. that's the thing about life. It's just a series of experiences that lead to other experiences, yeah. isn't it? Leads to one you know, another, yeah. I think that is, um, and also I think suicide, for me at least, I've no idea how it is for anyone else. Feel, when I've felt suicidal, it's been, um, I've been able to calm myself down by reminding myself that in those moments, it's not that I want to end life, I want to change life, have a different life maybe. But it's not a want, for, for me at least, for life to end. It's for life to be different. And yeah. recognising how difficult that is. I think that's a beautiful thing about social media that people don't talk about. I mean, I'm currently right now working on a project about why social media is terrible. But <laughs> it's undeniable that there are so many brilliant things yeah. about it. Like, in a sense, you feel like it saved saved you, right? Having yeah. these groups online that you've been able I to did. see. It's yeah. like having that avenue to express myself saved me because mm. it made me really well what you said just now was a really interesting point about how like with your own experience of suicide it's like you didn't want your life to end you wanted your life to change mm. that's something i realized too about myself yeah because i realized that like really i just wanted my circumstances to change yeah and they do they circumstances do, do yeah. change for sure um, obviously some people don't have that privilege unfortunately mm. um, I'm just quite lucky to be in that circumstance where I can yeah I can choose to change things I can get away yeah you know there's that there was this like joke my friend was like sort of mentioning like a few uh, said like a while back and how you know if everyone collectively thought oh shit we could all just be free right now everyone would just do their own thing at this moment. Yeah. And she, she was sort of joking about that. But the more I think about that, mm. it's kind of true, technically. I yeah. Mean, if, like, everyone just... 
kind of forgot about all the restraints in their life, mm. all the all like restrictions and that, and just realized, shit, I exist right now, and mm. I could choose what I want to do right now. People would just go off and do that. Yeah, I think it's tricky to a degree. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, but then I think there are probably a lot of people that, for whatever reason, just can't free themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, That's the thing. I think it's a learned thing. I think circumstances. What I know is that every time I say this, say things like this, there are definitely people that are like, you student fuck. You student fuck. Yeah. And I know there are going to be people listening to this that are like, oh, fucking two students telling me how to be free. <laughs> but like, yeah. I think it's good to, it's good to think about that. Like, yeah. And Again, I think definitely anyone can be it's free. It's weird, because I feel like all the things we've talked about today are like kind of wrap around each other. Yeah, again, yeah, we're Maybe we're at like similar points in our lives pe- right So now. many people are like attached to constraint. Mm. They're attached to what like confines them into like being a certain person, yep. expressing themselves in a different way. And again, that could be love, that could be sexualness, that could be like anything that we've spoken about really. Mm. It's really interesting. Yeah, I think it's very... That's the thing about life. No matter how free you are everyone's attached to something yeah right? attachment is natural it just happens for sure you can't not be attached to something because god this is um i wrote about this in a letter to a friend of mine and he said it sounded really pretentious <laughs> but um i was when i was working at boardmasters the first night my tent got fucked yeah and all of the pegs came out and i had no more pegs and i couldn't find them um and before I'd gone to Boardmasters, I had a really strong routine in my life. I was practicing German every day, I was practicing guitar every day, and I was writing every day. And I couldn't do any of those things while I was at Boardmasters. And in that moment, I felt like I was the tent, in a way. Yeah. And I felt that I had no pegs grounding me. And I realized that when I'm actually in... When I'm at home, and I'm being me, and sort of living a human experience... I have a lot of poles that cement me to the floor, right? Yeah. I have a lot of things that I connect with, I identify with, that ground me. And yeah. I think humans, without any connection, like tents on a fuck-off big field with loads of pissheads, there's nothing to ground you, you will just tumble off into oblivion, right? Yeah. Everyone needs connection to something, Yeah. I think. And for me, it's, it's music and, and learning another, language and that's stuff. That's another universal factor of anything, connection. For sure. I saw a beautiful video the other day. I don't know if you've heard of Derry Farrell. I don't think I have He's an before. Irish folk singer. I'll play I'll put a song on after the pod. Yeah. He there's a video of him and um he's just in an airport in Ireland on Christmas and he's with his band and their flight's been delayed by two hours. Alright. So he pulls out his Irish I forget how you say it, it might be bazooki. It's like a really old guitar. Yeah kind of thing it's like a 10 stringed guitar and he just pulls it out and starts playing a song and everyone in the airport starts singing along to this old Irish folk song right. and it was so beautiful and you just think that's one way that everyone can connect you know Yeah. it's like everyone it's a universal thing music you don't have to know the lyrics but everyone knows what a guitar sounds like when they hear it right everyone understands strumming and yeah I think um that's a really great way to to connect yourself to other people and to other things if you're not very good at being social, right? 
Yeah. Like if you're not a socially minded person, I think music is a brilliant tool of communication. I agree. And I think you look at like a lot of like a lot of people who are in bands, a lot of like famous musicians, sort of Kurt Cobain, Ian Curtis, Morrissey. Yeah. You know, people who struggle socially through a language of music. Like yeah. like jamming when you're a teenager. That is an essential part of life. Yeah. And be that instruments, be that lyrics on hip hop instrumentals. Some of the most pivotal moments in my life have been just sharing music with people. I agree with that, yeah. You know? I think that's such an underrated form of... Because people talk about how great music is for for the soul and how it's a great activity, but people underrate how important it is for social connection. Yeah. How how much you can socialise through learning anything about music. You I know? built a lot of connections through just talking about music the past few years. Yeah, again, even... Yeah. My friend May, again, I go back to her a lot, but again, she means a lot to me. Mm. Just like... Our connection that we even became friends through was because I was just wearing a Cure shirt, right? And then she asked me what my favorite bands were, yeah. And I and I, and I asked her, and I was like, "Holy shit, you know these artists?" That's a great I moment, remember, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I remember the artists she mentioned at that time were um, it was Radiohead, Swans, and Death Grips, right. and I was like, "Holy shit, I know no one else is like into Death Grips and Swans." Mm. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, uh, you got the Swans merch yeah, right now. Swans merch, rap right in. They're a wonderful band. Yeah. Repping in the park. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by a Swans <laughs> podcast. Um, God. But yeah, no, it's like a really beautiful thing how like through art you find connection. Mm. And I think that can be applied to many things within art. Definitely. Well, any kind of art, right? Yeah, any kind of art. Not just music, but like art in general. How we experience connection. Mm. Because, yeah, you could like agree with someone that like a certain art piece really resonates with you in terms of how it expresses ideas and that or you could find connection through yourself and that art piece itself mm. you could find maybe even a bit of yourself that you learn about or what it's trying to do really fascinating I think mm. that's kind of something that like a lot of people kind of overlook with music in spe- music specifically or just right. you could apply this really to film and that too but like in the context of music I think a lot of people overlook the idea of it having artistic expression. Cause I think a lot. Of, I think some people kind of remain in a bit of a comfort bubble with, with music. It's yeah. like well, it's like anything. Yeah. A lot of people have comfort, find one thing they like it, they stick. Yeah, it. exactly. I think, or some people just kind of reduce themselves to like simplicity, standardness. Mm-hmm. It's just a simple idea of like picking up an instrument and then like saying something you know yeah and like i think there is a place for that of course there's a place for any type of art mm-hmm. it's just how that art is achieved and yeah. how that art what the art's trying to do mm. that i'm always quite critical of nowadays right, okay. my perception of um music reviews and that my own experience of music reviews has changed so much throughout the years mm. well yeah because i mean people won't know just listening to this because i haven't really touched on it but you have spent a lot of time critiquing music yeah for like quite a quite a good Instagram page you guys really built something from nothing didn't you yeah thanks yeah um, I have two separate pages well I have my own independent page where I do my own reviews mm-hmm. but for the longest time I was a part of a music collective which a music collective is where a couple of people come together and um, well in our structure we chose an album like one person chooses an album every week we'd all listen to it we'd all give a score and then that one person would write a review about that album Mm-hmm. And um, that was the sort of structure we did it. It ended like about two months ago, but 
we've been, we've been doing it for a long time since early January and throughout lockdown process and that I discovered so much new music that I thought I would never like hear mm. and how you know adventuring through different all styles of music and that was really interesting to me but what I wanted to get to was how like through my early reviews well a lot of my reviews around the time I sort of focused a lot on just this is what it sounds like yeah. this is this is sound this sounds good mm. this is why I like the sound and I never really focused on intention much. I never focused on, like, what is it trying to do? And how much is that worth to me? Like, I never really focused much on intention. Um, and now I do. Like, a lot of my work, a lot of my review work is now solely focused on intention. Mm. And, like, what the album's trying to achieve. And how does it achieve it? Mm. Does it achieve it well, even? And I do factor sound into some of those things as well. I do think sound obviously has importance because what is music without the sound? Right. Well, some music anyways, but that's another discussion we're going to get into. But um, um, I, I just think intention with music is something that's really important to me, and mm. most important to me. Um, if anything, that's kind of why I've grown to really despise Fantano. Right. <laughs> as of late. Because right. I really don't like how he reviews art and mm. music. I think... Do you think he takes it too much on a surface level of what the music sounds like? Yeah. As opposed to... I think he does focus a lot on surface level right. and not more what it is trying to do. Mm. Than that. I think that there's a place for both, though, I right? do think so, to an extent, yeah. Mm. But I think that can fall into misunderstanding things too easily. Right, okay. I think a specific example for me... Um, God, I've got to think about a Fantano's reviews now, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen any in a while. Yeah. Um, I'm subscribed to him, but I'd never, never taken him as an authority on anything. I got quite annoyed if I'd talk about an album and someone would say, "Yeah, well, you're wrong," because Fantano. Yeah. And I'd be like, "Shut no. the fuck up now, okay?" Yeah. Fantano, you know, I get everyone has fans, but the people that would sort of say, "Well, you're wrong because Fantano." Yeah. It's like, dude, he's not. No one's God, all right? You know. But sorry. God, you're I saying, think about specific reviews now. Jesus. Oh fuck! I don't think I can. Because uh, I'm too tired. And yeah, a lot no, of music I, I could pick from. I get you. I just don't have that same perception that Fantano has personally. Mm. Yeah, like, which is fair. Yeah. I think he's. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of music critics are like that, though, aren't they? It's just sort of like listen to the album once and then review it, kind of thing. Yeah. Which is um, and then I guess a lot of successful music critics kind of do try to stir the pot, and like I remember listening to um. Not listening to. It. I read oh. a review of an album, and now I forget the album. It was so long ago. Um, oh, it was Liz Fair. It was Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville, oh, okay. and she associates with Mouldy Peaches. Okay. And the opening line of the review said, um, "I was skeptical of diving into Liz Fair's new project due to her association." With the despisable mouldy peaches. And I was like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. It's one of those things, isn't it? Sometimes you need to stir the pot for um to yeah. build up your image. And that's what I'm, that's what you know, Fantano's trying to build his image, I suppose. Yeah. God, I literally just thought of a specific review that really comes to mind of what I was trying to say, actually. Do you know about Kikadi's album Speed and Bullet to Heaven I haven't listened to it I haven't really listened to much Cuddy at all to be honest Cuddy's a really interesting artist but that album is kind of hated by a lot of people mm. um, but 
I myself, I think it's a masterpiece personally. Right. I think it's an album that like dem that like showcases mental vulnerability in such a like visceral and really like upsetting way. It's mm. a very like difficult album to get through because it's like Cardia is lowest point. Yeah. And he's just exposing how he feels. It's a natural like self expression of like this is what I'm going through right now. Yeah. I'm suffering. Mm. And it's quite painful to get through. Um, and it's really interesting. Um, the, the artists I can think about, he sort of linked himself a lot to uh, Kurt Cobain in that. Specifically, okay. like, you know, like an album like In Utero, which exposes the sort of artist. Yeah. And how, like, they're feeling at the moment and what, what they're currently going through at that time. But I think an artist that I honestly would link more closely to that is Daniel Johnston. Right, okay. Daniel Johnston, in terms of how, through naturally performing music, he showcases his own character. I mean, yeah, he's one of those artists you can say definitely their art was a way to stop them from destruction. Yeah. It was a way to pu push them onto a separate oh, field. Have you seen The um, the Devil and Daniel Johnston? I have. I adore that documentary. Yeah. I was recommended that by an old teacher called Matt Bisco, and I know he listens to this podcast. So shout out to Matt Bisco because he put me onto that documentary. Oh, it's that. absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, and it's a real, it's a real revelatory one. It shows so much about his character and the things he went through from a young age all the way into his sort of real mental health issues in adulthood, and um, gives you so much more appreciation for the lyrics and the music. Yeah, once you really see what was going through him. I mean, his song Casper the Ghost is already incredible on its yeah. own. And then when you learn that he had a psych psychotic episode where he believed himself to be Casper the Ghost and tried to throw himself out of a two-man plane with his dad. Yeah. Gives you so much more appreciation for the song that he could turn from that experience and make a song about Casper the Ghost. Incredible. Such a brilliant artist. Such a brilliant artist. Yeah. Like that attachment to media. Mm. And how you can sort of personify that into your own self. And I, I think it shows that for some people, art is a survival instinct, isn't it? Yeah. It's a way to survive and navigate an incredibly um, incredibly turbulent and unpredictable world. Yeah. There's a specific album that like comes to mind as well that I discovered like about a year and a half ago. It's a album called Fun 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 by an artist called Cat's Millionaire. And um, this is an album which um, is heavily attached to My Little Pony. Right. There's a lot of iconography from the ship from Friendship is Magic, that show. And, like, it does it whilst portraying it through the lens of someone who's, like, very much mentally unstable, who's very much, like, a very stressful pinnacle of her life. Mm. And um, there's the vulnerability expressed through that. And it's really interesting, that album, because mm. it's unlike anything I've really heard before. Yeah. That, like, sort of communicating your own perspective and emotions through the guise of something that you're attached to. Yeah. They have a sort of really strong attached to. In that case, to her, it was My Little Pony, but... Right. It's really interesting to me, that mm. sort of perspective. And yeah. how, through, in general, your own attachment to media can make you express yourself in different ways. Yeah. It's interesting to look at, because, like you're saying there, they have the My Little Pony... Daniel Johnston had, I guess, Casper the Ghost. Yeah. Kurt Cobain, very interested in in referencing, like, babies in a way. Yeah. You know, like, the Nirvana Nevermind cover, the 
endless references to babies in an utero. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. Hmm. I guess I'm have doom with food. I'm <laughs> <laughs> doom food. Comic books and that, yeah. <laughs> Um, anyways, I kind of got distracted again from my point I was going to make about Kikari. So, like, it's being about the heaven. It's like an album of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. and uh, But the thing is, is that people hated it at that time. And people still hate it because it was... Part of the reason is because it's an album that's completely different from anything he's ever made. Right. So, obviously, you assume he's, like, you know, a rapper. Yeah. And that the album's a grunge album. It's like a right. grunge rock album. So, how... And um, define like what's the instrumentation like? Is it like a Lil Peep not style Lil of Peep, grunge? No. Not is Lil it, Peep, where it's like a guitar. How much live sample. instrumentation would you say it is? Live drums, live harsh, guitar, guitar. Yeah, live guitars. So bass, not like um, just like pre-recorded garage band stuff. No, a lot of it's lo-fi even. Right. Okay. It's really interesting. Mm. And um, I'm definitely gonna have to listen to that. Album. It. It's a really interesting album. I love it a lot personally. Okay. But. Yeah, a lot of that, and a lot of the hatred for that album kind of comes from the idea that, oh, it's a hip-hop artist doing grunge. Right. They can't do that, because it's not yeah. right. And it, like, it does sort of feed into a little bit of a kind of racist perspective of, like, how hip-hop artists should stay in one field. Yeah. They can't adventure outwards from that. Mm. I think, in a way, that's kind of something that, like, a lot of reactions to Kukadi's music in general kind of had, because... He's an artist who, like, expressed mental vulnerability. And a lot of people in his field didn't do that at all. Yeah, I think that's, that's something that's grown definitely over the last 10 years in hip-hop. Yeah. That idea of putting yourself out there mentally. Yeah, And course. exposing your weaknesses. Because, obviously, it's such a such a, a genre built on show-boastery. Yeah. And egotism and, and macho energy. Yeah, and a lot of portrayals of egotism are kind of uninteresting. Mm-hmm. But then you have That's like, why I kind of love a lot of Kanye's music because I think he does he does it so well he does it really and really interesting and it's way, his image yeah. isn't it it's part of his whole persona yeah his ego and you can't separate Kanye from the ego yeah you know it's like an album like Jesus for instance how far he goes to an extent of expressing ego mm. point where he like uses religious iconography to sort of yeah convey what he thinks of himself in that. Yeah. And then he also, through that, expresses a vulnerability in his character as well. Yeah. How power, it's not, it's not produce pure happiness, you know? Mm. Um, and even at that, it's not even, like, one of my favourite Kanye albums. I think my, fav- my favourite Kanye album, it changes a lot. I do really like The College Dropout a lot. That album's yeah. fantastic. Of course. album that's really grown on me recently is The Life of Pablo. Yeah. Because of its scattered structure and how that's kind of integral to its themes as well. Mm. I think it is very integral to showcasing a pinnacle of Kanye's life at that point. Mm. Because, you know, take it back to that point. That was during when, um, you know, the sort of controversy of him and Taylor Swift was like expanding <laughs> so much. Uh, and all the fans were like jumping on it and, yeah. oh, he's a horrible bastard. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's a horrible bastard, or, oh, she's a horrible bastard. Yeah, 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 two, yeah. You know? Yeah. God. And even outside of that, you know, Kanye's just prolific. He has a lot of, he does a lot of things that make people turn their heads, and it's just a lot of these things mm. that Kanye focuses on throughout that album, focuses on the idea of, like, there's a song on that album called Real Friends, mm. which, like, kind of touches on the idea of connection, and, like, what is 
trustworthy connection how do mm. we know we're really connected to one another and uh, there's a line I forget how it goes specifically but there's a specific line where he references a relative of his who stole a laptop of his which was his worth cousin like, right yeah his cousin and it was worth a lot of fucking money mm. and he had to pay him and he had to pay him like 250 grand I think mm. something like that just to get it back from him yeah and uh it's a really interesting lyric because I think it does portray that kind of context in that sense. Mm. Yeah. And the vulnerability <laughs> of being that powerful and having people around you. Yeah. Because mm. in a way, I guess it does make you question who's there in your life. Who is yeah. It? Who's there Definitely. to be there for you? Who's there just to exploit you? That's an unfortunate part of Kanye's image is that um, people outside of hip-hop, people that don't have an actual appreciation and understanding of what goes on in hip-hop, See, Kanye is just an egotist, point yeah. blank, nothing else. Kanye is an incredibly prolific guy. I agree. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say when it comes to like influences on how I think, Kanye is up there as one of the most influential people in in terms of what goes on and in, inside of my own mind. I definitely attribute a lot of the things that I think about in the world to listening to Kanye. Yeah. Particularly graduation. Graduation, it's not my yeah. favourite Kanye album, but I've listened to it more than any other Kanye record. So yeah. It came to me at a time when I was incredibly confident and had an incredible desire to experience the world. Yeah. And I had a lot of energy. And that album is just pure, unrelentless, go and get it, Joy. do your thing. Yeah. And then, towards the end, there's a lot of existential reflection. Yeah. Songs like Big Brother, songs like Everything I Am. Thing, where he starts yeah. to really appreciate things appreciates and, a moment of his life and, how far he's and takes a moment of rest almost yeah. to talk about the exact same thing but from a from a standpoint of appreciation yeah and not gluttony right yeah and I think it's he's it's such a good album um I think obviously it's the college dropout is probably probably his easiest album yeah in the sense of it's the most hip hop album yeah it's definitely got more traditional hip-hop 90s influence than any of his other records. Yeah. I mean, it's coming at a time where he was literally exclusively like making beats for Jay-Z. So yeah. It makes Maybe sense. Jay-Z and that, yeah. And obviously, it's got a Lauryn Hill feature, so yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be a bad album. Um, but yeah, I think, God, that man is such a brilliant... It's one of yeah. my favourite rappers, for sure. Definitely for me too. It's take I I I had a period where I went back and forth on a lot of Kanye albums because mm. there were some which I like really hated for a long time. Yeah. And now there's only like two albums I could say I don't really like from him. One's which Jesus are. is King. Right. So I don't really like. We I were remember, together when that came yeah, out. I remember that. Like yeah, when it, when it came out, like the exact minute it came out, we all listened to it together. And we all picked up on the Chick Fil A. <laughs> You're my Chick Fil A. <laughs> <laughs> You're my number one. With the lemonade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God. Fucking hell, what a weird album that is. Yeah, I don't think that one works too well. I'm still not huge into Yay as well. Mm. That one hasn't clicked with me yet, but I do see why people see value in it. Yeah, I um, definitely... I haven't touched with a lot of his newer stuff, but I still yeah. still listen to all of his interviews and stuff. Outside still of that, though, I like pretty much everything else from him. Mm. What do you think of my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy? Yeah, absolutely brilliant record. Yeah. Came to it a lot later than I should have, but um, I think it's an absolute... Such a brilliant document of that time period. 
Yeah. Of all of the artists that were influential right there. Yeah, it's a sort it's a very He pulls all of them in. Collaboration, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you can listen to that album as a sort of documentation of pop culture in 2012, right? It's just like yeah, 2010, but 2010, right? Yeah, 2010, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I get that. It's yeah. just so such a flawless record. And even though that, that kind of transcends out of that timeline because you got well, like, yeah, because I mean, you got like Elton the, John on that album as well. Yeah, even. and even musically, it's pretty ahead of its time. Yeah, but just the kind of people that he gets on are so. It's just so, it was such a relevant album then, but it hasn't. It's not dated. Yeah. Because the music was ahead of its time. The stay within its own capsule, I feel. Mm. Because again, it's like, it's telling Kanye's perspective through kind of a universal lens, I'd say. Yeah. Because it's like, again, you have all these different artists. So many people on that album. Yeah. It's, and it's from so many backgrounds. Like, mm. Nicki Minaj and Bonnie Iver on the same album. It's very Yeah, and like something. Chris Martin. Yeah, Chris Martin. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really interesting, though. Well, I think it's... That album is born from the exact same thing as Jesus is King. It's just his unrelenting desire to be as creative and original as possible. Yeah. I sometimes still, it goes incredibly, like, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, you know? even though I don't like Jesus is King, I still respect its like tenacity to um, expression. For I sure. It is a very honest album from Kanye, for sure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he. I think all of his albums are incredibly honest because he just yeah. doesn't, doesn't filter it. It's like the... Like what we were talking about before we started recording with um, his song with DaBaby and Marilyn Manson. Yeah. It's like at the point where he's had the last two years were probably the most critical of Kanye and his beliefs and yeah. how he articulated them. And he puts Marilyn Manson and DaBaby on one song. Yeah. Which is sort of... You know, I don't, I don't see... I, I see why he did it for sure. Yeah. Certainly see what he was saying. I just think the Marilyn Manson. I think it doesn't quite. I think work Marilyn well. Manson is a different case to the baby, is what I would say. Yeah. The baby was um, you know, the baby was really like the baby spreads but... misinformed information about homophobia, and then yeah. Marilyn Manson's a sexual predator. Two very different things. Yeah. I think I under I would und- I would, I'd have more respect for it if it wasn't Marilyn Manson on there. Yeah. Feels he brought the baby on there because I don't believe the baby should be completely thrown to the wolves I think he was stupid Yeah, so stupid. ignorant such yeah. an ignorant thing to say in the modern age people know that's you know AIDS isn't a rife disease yeah. exclusive to homosexuals but I don't think he should be punished indefinitely you know yeah. I think people make mistakes people need to be forgiven or else progress won't happen yes he still has room to work with well sure. Marilyn Madsen doesn't yeah you know sexual abuse is sexual abuse at the end of the day yeah you Permanently tarnished someone's life. Yeah. But I think, you know, if you took Marilyn Manson off of it, it would make a lot of sense for Kanye to do that because he was one of the first people to speak out on homophobia and hip-hop. You know, that's MTV interview, I think 2006, where Kanye just specifically organised a slot on MTV so he could go on and say, I disavow homophobia and hip-hop. We need to stop saying faggot. Because Because he found out his cousin was gay. Yeah. Kind of similar to you coming on here and saying that you associated with hateful people in the past. You got new information and you changed and you wanted to make a change. Yeah. It's exactly what Kanye did, you know? And then for him to put his money where his mouth is and put the baby on a record. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Just why Manson, Kanye? Yeah, Manson. Why Marilyn Manson, for God's sake, yeah. man? Like I'm trying to defend you here. Yeah, that comment just sort of falls apart. I'm trying to back you up, but yeah. then you fucking 
Chuck, Mr. In fact, recently he's, um, you know, he's propping up a lot of people in that sort of field of like, oh, they're getting criticized a lot lately and shit. Right. Like, um, Drake, he's like very, very close buddies with him again, maybe. I don't know. Okay. But he's given the impression that he's close buddies with Drake. And just a few days ago, he was posting stories with him and Dave Chappelle together. And right. It's a lot of really, it's, it's something. For sure. I don't really know anything about Drake, yeah. controversial-wise. I don't know anything about what he's done. So I guess you'd have to explain that to me. Because I don't follow Drake. I don't really, like, hear about Drake. Yeah. I think I've never responded to anything about him on Instagram, so the I've algorithm never, just doesn't give me <laughs> any Drake. Never had beef with Drake. Never had beef with <laughs> some guy. Never, never done nothing. Silencio DMs. I've, yeah. Well, I'm, Drake um, obviously has, like, a bit of... Um, Says in that this music isn't really that, especially his newer music, just isn't that good. I, I mean, in that aspect, I'd agree. I think he's absolutely shit. Yeah. I don't know like any of his music. Generic expressions of. I mean, this is obviously a wider thing to do with the sort of culture itself, but there are a lot of wider expressions of misogyny. There's that really fucking yeah. weird line on his new album where he said, let's like, said it to a lesbian girl, me too. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but it's, um, it's just a shit joke, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's a shit joke, but god damn, yeah. But um, a big thing that kind of people are mentioning right now is his sort of weird fucking connection with Millie Bobby Brown. Right, if you're okay. aware of anything about I that. Think, I think I heard about that a while ago. I didn't really know if there was anything to that. Yeah, there's a lot to it, because um, obviously it was kind of open that they, they, they talked to each other, and then Millie Bobby Brown did like an interview, mm. and someone was like, ask him about her connection with Drake, and then she was talking about how they talk about a lot, of pri- a lot about private things and stuff, but it's things that she cannot discuss. And there was the impression that it was a lot of, um, well, I mean, she did say it was like relationship stuff and yeah. things outside of that. And she implied that there's a lot of things that she cannot talk about. And it gave a very fucking weird vibe. It was like, and that's, it's oh, tricky though. It's tricky yeah. to know. I it don't, is. I don't, think I don't want to put out on the story. pod that Drake is a child molester or whatever. Yeah, because it could just be an odd thing that maybe, yeah, what, maybe what if someone were to say to him, "Do you think it's a bit, a bit weird?" Maybe he'd be like, "Oh shit, yeah, maybe it's yeah. a bit weird." I'm maybe there's more to guy. it that I don't know. Yeah, but that's but the sort of thing I know. It's weird. It's weird, bro. You, yeah. You're acting sus, all right? You're acting <laughs> yeah. sus, Drake. Come on now. Cut that out, Drake. Cut it out. Fuck's sake. Cut it out. I mean, <laughs> I don't care. It, unlike Kanye, I don't care if I can if I ha- like have to defend Drake. I'm not going to defend Drake. Yeah, I don't yeah. fucking care. Okay. Even if it turns okay, out he's just, the nicest I'm guy ever. I'm just being ever, nice here, Drake, alright? Yeah. Don't Even if it turns out that Drake's like the nicest fucking guy ever, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> he's just so... Like, the music, as I said, I don't know anything about him, but his music is so boring. Yeah. So boring. Like, who gets excited for a Drake project? Apart from Drake fans. Yeah, but, but like, yeah, really but who's a Drake obsessed? fan? That's the thing. I don't Did know. Did you see that, like, when Drake and Kanye were having that beef recently, like, some Drake fans, like, fucking vandalised Kanye's old uh, family house. What the and the, uh, fuck? But they didn't even vandalise it. They just put, like, fucking pieces of paper that said Drake on the fucking house. Oh, my God. Rebels, man. <laughs> Rebel bad boy motherfuckers. Oh, bad boy Drake stands. Watch out. You'll get your house covered up by images of Drake. Literally. That's so oh. terrifying. <laughs> Right. I think that's quite telling of the kind of people that listen to Drake, though. Yeah. Just like hype beasts. Yeah, hype, hype beasts. beasts. It's yeah, it's very much endorsing that culture. Yeah. God, that's so rank. Thinking about hype beasts and Drake. God. Okay. Speaking of um, 
things that have happened in the sort of community of hip-hop, I guess, but, you know, it could be expanded outside of that. Travis Scott's concert. Oh, God. Well, and, um, I don't know how you feel about that. I think um, I think Travis Scott is really irresponsible, man. I agree. Yeah. I think, Jesus Christ, anyone who's been to an intense gig, as someone who's been to a lot of punk gigs, where the crowd get really heavy yeah. and get quite violent, you don't encourage that shit. What no. the fuck? There's certain level of You do not you encourage them. that shit. You're on the stage. You can control the situation. Right? Yeah. You don't. And you do not encourage. It's very telling that like this like isn't that. even the first time something like this has happened at Travis Scott's concerts. For like sure. he's been arrested for it in the past. Yeah. Well, he know? had the he had the um, the Rolling Loud. He was arrested because he was telling them, jump over the barrier. Yeah. You tell people to jump over the barrier, you're encouraging people behind to run to the front of the crowd, yeah. which is exactly like, what happened at his someone gig. Someone jumped from a high point or something. Yeah. And then, like, Travis was like, yo, that's cool. And then someone else did. And then that person got permanently paralyzed. Okay. No, like, I didn't even hell. see that. But, yeah. Um, that was, like, at a previous concert, I think. But, God. But there are so many examples of him saying, fuck security, guys, push forward. Yeah. You know, people know there's a reason you don't do that shit. Anyone who's been to an intense gig, you know how easily things can go sideways. Yeah. The human body is pretty fragile. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, you're not you're not meant to be crushed. Crushed. Constantly. Obviously, I think in England, right, everyone sort of has in the back of their head big crowds. People think of that football Hillsborough incident. You know, when the fans got crushed to death. Yeah. Woodstock. Woodstock. Yeah. But then I think even there was the Limp Biscuit concert in America, wasn't there? Yeah, it was um, Woodstock '99. Woodstock '99. They should know, right? Yeah. Dude should have fucking known at the end of the day. I'm not saying this was completely his fault, but I'm saying at the end of the day, it it's on the back of what he's built up, isn't it? And bluntly, awareness of you know things were happening. It's like a video, even like a short video, I think, where he even calls out something. But nothing escalates from that. There's the video where he looks down at the corpse being carried over the crowd and he's just going, yeah. Have you seen that? He's just like going, yeah, into the microphone. I've seen that video where it's like the perspective of like a medic is trying to like help someone out on the floor and then Travis Scott is on this pillar above and he's like doing like the fucking robot or something. Yeah. It's like, Jesus. It's so rank. He's... How mindless do you have to be? And one of his friends says, one of his men, whatever you'd call him, says, let's stop the show. And he's like, do what you were paid to do. Jesus. We're yeah. carrying on the show. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Fuck yeah. Yeah, there's a video of it, man. Jesus. And, um, you know, you've got the ambulance coming in. He doesn't stop. Or he stops and then continues, which is worse. Yeah. He acknowledges the situation, continues. 40 minutes after the first fatality. Yeah. Carries on. And just in general, that whole situation was mismanaged i don't blame the first aiders there because they were understaffed yeah i've heard some of them didn't have training yeah no some of them didn't have proper training why would you for like an event as massive as a travis scott festival what the fuck are you thinking who organized it is what i want to know yeah why the fuck are you there should be more regulations in check it's so i'd imagine some people would hear this and think oh you sound so um, so restricting but it's like at the end of the day I've got a fucking great appreciation for any kind of energetic 
aggressive music. Yeah. But there's a way to go about it. There's a safe It's a family festival. Yeah. He knew there were families there, young people there. There was yeah. no age restriction on the gig. Travis Scott does have a young fan base. Yeah. There's no age restriction there. It's not like an underground club of 50 punks ready to get fucked up. Yeah. It's a family... And thousands of people as well. What was it, like 100,000 people Something there? Something like that. So many people there. I know recently, like, a lawsuit's coming out now, and it's mm. about... I think two billion or something. Yeah, it's so towards all I of think it. it's Travis Scott. I think Drake, Apple, Apple. I, yeah, Drake, Apple. Even at that though, it's like no matter the monetary value, that doesn't yeah, equate to died. human life. Yeah, that doesn't equate to human life. Not people not died, and you can't change that. Literally, it's terrific that situation. Yeah, <laughs> that's Travis Scott defender out there. Literally, um, <laughs> yeah, it's messed up. It's really messed up. I think. Hopefully it just acts as a, one of those brutal reminders to people. Yeah. And I don't think that'll ever happen again anytime soon. Yeah. With anyone. But yeah, like, I mean, I've definitely been to my fair share of concerts where I've felt uneasy. Yeah. In the crowd. Um, yeah, it's just harsh, man, that, that some young people had to lose their lives over that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, what can we do? Hopefully, hopefully people learn. I don't hate Travis Scott. I don't think he thought that would happen. He was just incredibly irresponsible and didn't realise yeah. how much power he had. He's not a bad person, you know. But he fucked up massively. It's a huge fuck up, yeah. Huge, yeah. huge fuck up. It's peak, man. What can you do? Yeah. What so, um, do? yeah, no, I think I was... I think we sort of were going to talk about earlier, but kind of got misconstrued... Not misconstrued, now, Just wrapped up in other conversations. and that. Right. Just about, like, gigs we are going to. That. Mm. I've been to a few. Well, yeah. actually, no, I've... Been to a lot locally. Right. It's a lot of bands I've been trying to support. Like, um, you, know, you mentioned Butt Plug Babies before. Shout um, Butt Plug Babies. Butt that's what I've um, I've been to a lot of pubs recently, and most time I've been there, they've been playing. They're really good. Mm. I really like them. Uh, there was one at the... Um, there was a jun- I went to one at the junction. There was a friend of mine who had a birthday there. Daniela. Yeah, Danny. I was going to yeah. go to that. I had COVID. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah no, Danny. Yeah, she's cool. Um, but... Um, there was um, all these like bands playing. Mm. I forget what it was called, but there was just I think it was the last band that played that night. Section something. I forget what they were called, but are they a new band? You got a new album out? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. But um, I just remember the singer had like a really interesting like setup, like clothing. Right. There was like all these like drawings and shit. Right. And, like, colors and that all over there, like dressing and that and like that's ah, so fucking cool they had this tash as well <laughs> it was quite cool but um, no, that band was really good mm. it was like a really interesting sort of combination of genres there yeah um, outside of that though I had a bit of a um, bad, I had a bit of a bad experience a few months back where at like, a concert not at a concert necessarily but a concert cancelling last minute who was that Black Midi have you ever heard of them before I haven't Black Midi are like a newer band. They're really right. fucking good. But um and they dropped an album recently. That's really wonderful. But um they were playing up in Bristol. They planned to play up Bristol. Mm. And me and my friends had this sorted, booked, and uh we went up to the buses and we were on the bus to Bristol at just about forty minutes about an hour from when we were just about to get to Bristol, mm. they cancelled because the uh, singer got a throat infection. Like, oh shit. That's so it's peak. like last minute That's cancellation. So Going all the way to Bristol. Yeah, we did still you, did you went still to Bristol. 
yeah. we looked around there a lot. I had a lot of fun there. Fucking brilliant place. My I favorite like, place. I like going there. Yeah. It's my favorite place outside of Plymouth. I kind of mentioned it a bit with your brother beforehand, but oh yeah, I'm looking at universities in Bristol University. Same. I might go to. Oh shit. I'm going to Screenology in Bristol. Oh right, okay. Next year. That's pretty cool. Yeah, man. No, I might be doing English in Bristol Uni. My friend's doing English in Bristol Uni right now. Oh shit. Yeah, my friend Alice. Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's enjoying it as far as I know. That's cool. No, I might be. I might do that Wait, if it goes well. Bristol is such a good place. Best gig of my life was in Bristol. Saw the chats at the O2. Oh, the chats. All right. It was insane. I've never been more thrown around in a gig. <laughs> I was with my friend Finn, and she's about half my size, and right at the front, there's a sea of big blokes in leather jackets, and then there's little Finn in between them all. Her head just bobbing up above the waves now and then before she disappears yeah. back into the crowd. Best night ever. Cool. It was the night That's Boris awesome. Johnson, the night after Boris Johnson got elected. Oh, shit. So that morning they announced he was the prime minister. Yeah. And everyone was just ready to fuck Pissed. some shit up. Yeah. Everyone, everyone had a bit of rage. Felt a bit of anger of the results. It's like let's express that. And they expressed yeah. it through fucking punk music, man. That's that's pretty fun. And, and it was so again, good. A sense of unity, you know. A really memorable Connection. night. Yeah. It was so good. And that's fucking cool. And on fun. the way back, on the coach back, we met these like forty-five-year-old punks, who yeah. sort of experienced the fast punk wave in Plymouth. Yeah. And we had like a chat with them the entire three hours back. Just this big long chat with these old punk rockers who'd come up to see the chats. Yeah. And it was so interesting getting their perspective on that music. That's and, interesting. And obviously since then, like my boyfriend lives in Bristol. I go up there a lot. I'm spending Christmas in Bristol. It's awesome. such a cool place. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I such love the music place. scene I'm going there. to see um, going to see the chats again in February up there. I'm going right. to go and see Lil Sims there. What do you think was, about Lil Sims' new album? Oh, fucking great! I have it so on vinyl. Good, right? I've been looking at nice. going to that concert, but get a ticket, get a ticket, get a ticket. Get a ticket. Come with me. Yeah, fuck it. Do it. All right, it'll fuck it. Great, it'll be a great show. Yeah, fuck it'll it. Be so when good. is it again? I think it's the. I don't know if it's in a week or like two weeks. Oh, two weeks. Yeah. Okay. Not long. Ooh. Not long at all. It might be twelfth of December. No. Hmm. Around then, it might be let. It's either right at the end of November or December. Okay, I'll have a look at it. Yeah, it's gonna be hey, fucking crazy. It. But I've seen some artists in Bristol at some point. In yeah. March, gonna be seeing JPEG Mafia. Nice. That's gonna be fucking fun. That's dope. And then in April, I'm seeing Mitski in Bristol. Sick. Yeah. My friend's trying to get me to go to that, but yeah, I, I think the know. exact day I had something that I needed to do. Yeah. Like a college thing was scheduled for that exact day, which is peak. Oh, shit. Yeah. I think that's, I think the tickets are sold out anyways for it. I'd imagine so. I would imagine so. The thing is with me, it's like, I was ready to get them, but they immediately sold out. And I initially missed out. I was like, oh, shit. But then about an hour or so later, they had a small restock. I went into it and I got a ticket. Nice. So, yeah, that's going to be fun as fuck. Yeah, I, might be, I might also be seeing an artist called Injury Reserve in right. February. They're like a hip-hop uh, well, duo now. But yeah. um, they were a trio originally, but one of the members passed away recently. Okay. They put out a really, really fucking good album this year called mm. um, By the Time I Get to Phoenix. Oh, I've heard that. I've yeah. heard that album. It's a good record. It's a great album, yeah. Mm. I might be seeing them in February. Nice. Because tickets are like a tenner. Sick. So I'm just like, uh, might go up to Bristol and do that. Yeah. 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 It's fucking, just like it's like what twenty eight quid round trip. Yeah. Might be dope. Nah. Yeah. 
No, I, I wouldn't mind going up there, of course. It's just like, the thing is, like, you know, uh, paying to travel up there. Yeah. Paying for a place to stay, that kind of crap. Yeah. Bring a tent, man. Bring yeah. a tent, honestly. Yeah. Because the coach is, you know, what, £16 for a return? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Not an awful deal, yeah. Considering the train's like 50 quid for a single. Yeah. It's horrendous. No, it's awful, yeah. It's horrendous. Train. The state of trains right now, you know. Yeah. I don't know, like... Don't know how they're gonna fix that shit. I have no idea of any of it to be honest. But yeah, I, why are trains that expensive? So like we're going to Scotland just after Christmas, me and a friend of mine, and um, it's like two hundred pounds for hell. a train, yeah. twenty pounds for a flight from Bristol to Glasgow, twenty quid. Yeah, ten percent of the price to get on a plane. Literally, yeah. Why? You know, it's like you can't expect people to behave in a way that. Um, props up the environment when no one's got any money. Yeah, exactly. And everything's overpriced, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what they want, isn't it? Yeah, the money. Yeah. 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 Majority can pat that. Yeah, know? literally. <coughs> I think the way I like to end these podcasts is I like to recommend an album and a film or a book. So like okay. one album and then either a film or a book. So I think I'll give an album, you give an album, and then you can give a film or a book, and I'll do the same thing. Okay. So, right now, I want the album that I've been listening to a lot over the last few weeks is Screamadelica by Primal Scream. Primal Scream, yeah. That album came to me while I was doing an animation, and I was just about to give up on it. I played that album for the first time, had it on my shelf for like five years. And it blew my mind. Sure. Thought it was incredible. Thought it was so good. I don't really like techno-y electronic stuff. Yeah. Some of their tracks on there are pretty techno, I'd say. And I fucked with it so much. Thought it was incredible. Yeah. And yeah, I played it as, as soon as the CD finished, I put it on straight away. The second but time right away. Awesome. That's how much I liked it. Also, um, been listening to a lot of like Noel Gallagher doing Oasis songs. All right. No particular albums. I guess the master plan has most of that. Noel Gallagher's a pretty great singer. Yeah. I think. I think he's got such beautifully simplistic lyrics and guitar playing. I go back and forth with Oasis a lot, but yeah. At the moment, I'm like in a current position where I'm like, you know what, Morning Glory's still great. Yeah. It's such a great album. That I is. I think I I just prefer more of the acoustic stuff by them. More of Noel's stuff. Yeah. Hearing I him sing that. his songs gives such a different impression to hearing Liam sing them. Master Plan always sort of stuck with me from that sense. Well, the the thing is with Master Plan, it's such a brilliant album, and the story of it is incredible because Noel Gallagher, obviously, they knew nothing about the music industry. These were just lads who got into the industry because they liked to make music. Yeah. Noel would write an incredible single. They'd say we need a B side. He'd write an incredible single, and give it as a B side. So he had all of these great songs that never made an album because they're on the B-side of the singles. Yeah. The Master Plan, there's no original song on that album. Every song on the Master Plan is a B-side from the previous singles. Yeah. And it's a complete compilation of B-sides that works as one of their best albums. It's yeah. just a testament to his ability as a songwriter. Absolutely. Um, and I think with any good band, once you get into a great band, it's a real joy going through all of their rarities and B-sides. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's what makes a great band, really. Having a, such a great catalogue of B-sides that you could make an yeah. album out of it. I mentioned them earlier, but Brave Abacus again. Mm. So they sort of like existed for a short period of time. 
yeah. makes me scavenge around and try to find as much as I can. Mm. And uh, they have like you know the EPs and that. There's like a demo EP that exists of some of their work, which is still amazing. Yeah, but that's a really te- really good testament to how good bands can be. If even the stuff outside of that that's just on demos is worth looking at, mm. it's like wow, this is still really fucking good. As well. Yeah, you know, defo. I get you. There was a band called Gloss. Oh, Gloss, yeah. Now, I've got both their seven-inch records in so, my... Trans-punk band, Trans-punk right? band, yeah. yeah. It lasted about a year, two years. I've got both of their seven-inches. Awesome. They're an incredible band. They were uh, really dope. I actually bit out because they had, like, very limited amount of physical stuff. Mm. And just before I came to your house today, actually, the front man... Uh, he actually made a post that was like, hey, I found 40 copies of uh, CDs, um, of original CDs for this album. I'm going to sell them. I immediately brought a copy. Nice. And that. It's so it's so different when you love music to get a physical copy of an album. Oh, Be that is. CD, vinyl, cassette. If anything, now I'm like more attached to it. Yeah, a for really sure. Nice feeling. For sure. Every album I love, I need to get on a physical copy yeah. of some sort. You know, like, you just can't not. It's like when you're just trying to calm down yeah. before you go to bed, put on a Velvet Underground record. Wow. Yeah. You know, so different to playing it on Spotify. That the second self titled album. Like just just the Velvet yeah. Underground. That really Quite works. Forty fifth well anniversary of that. It's bloody brilliant. Nice. Candy says, what a tune. Yeah. What a brilliant opening song to an album. I play that on guitar when I'm stressed, that song. Such After a good song. Hours a lot on that album. Final track, right? Yeah. Yeah. What a beautiful song that is. Such a such a brilliant tune yeah they really came into themselves in that album yeah it was really was it Sister was Sister Ray on that album or was that the second one no I don't think so. I think it was I the second album I don't think Sister album. Ray was on that album no I think Sister Ray was on that album. yeah was I think it was the second album yeah 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 White Light White Heat yeah that's what I, I mean every about. album yeah. they did I think was incredible to be honest with you I liked yeah. every album they made yeah Not even Squeeze I thought Squeeze was great hmm. Interesting. I haven't heard Squeeze before. Oh, it's good. I always kind of steered away from it because of its reputation. Yeah, same. It's um, I forget the guy's name. The guy who sang um. What songs did he do? He was like this, the second Lou Reed, basically. Yeah. I think he was on um. I just remember rock he, and roll. Yeah, I just remember the context of the album being it was a guy who had some sort of relationship to the Velvet Underground, but wasn't an official member who made that album. Yeah, I mean he was he was an official member, All and right. he was good. Just, he wasn't Lou Reed. Yeah. And people didn't like that. Because the Velvet Underground, once once they, you know, booted out John Cale and Nico, it was Lou Reed's band, yeah. essentially. Um, by the way, the Velvet Underground booting out John Cale was the worst decision they ever made. And yeah. so irritating. But John Cale is one of my musical heroes, man. I think he's okay. one of the greatest people to exist Yeah. for music. Produced the Velvet Underground. He produced Patti Smith. Worked with the Happy Mondays. His solo album, Fear, have you heard that album? I haven't. Before. Oh my god, Ben, you, Alice, sorry. You would <laughs> love, sorry. That's okay. My bad. Um, You would love Fear by John Cale. It's such a good record. Yeah. And I don't know if you've heard his album with Brian Eno. I have heard some songs from that. Oh, it's such a good Pretty record. Good. Yeah. Such a good record. Actually, I'm going to change my recommendation. And I would say listen to Fear by John Cale and... I forget the name of the actual album, but his joint album with Brian Eno. Such okay. such a brilliant album. Chuck a recommendation out there. Oh, recommendation out there. Okay. 
So, I gotta think about. Uh, I've been thinking about a lot about like artists I've been listening to a lot. There's one album I gotta throw out that I'm absolutely been obsessed with for over a year now. It's this album called Frangers by a band called Mew. Mm-hmm. They're this Danish band, and um, a lot of their music is like so interestingly structured. A lot of it's dreamy, very elegant. It's like, I mean, you might. I'll make this comparison, but you'll probably be like, what the fuck? Okay. Um, it's like if Coplay went very far, you know, with the... It's like if Coplay like, went far with experimentation. Okay. And far the thing is about like, Coldplay, they could have been a intrigue. good band. Yeah. You listen to their songs, they could have I been a good I still think band. their early stuff's good. I still like their early stuff. I can't... I really can't get into it, but yeah. I just love the lyrics. Yeah. In a way. And it's I know people criticise them so much. Yeah. But, like... I think there's a sincerity, there's a sincerity captured in those early albums that I really like. Mm. Their second album, A Rush of Blood to the Head, is really good. Yeah. I really like that one a lot. But outside of that, not interested really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah back would have been Frangers. great if they wrote for Bjork. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, back to Frangers. It's like they cap that album specifically captures a, like captures such beauty within mm. those songs. And there's one song specifically, Comforting Sounds, which is the final song in the album, which okay. might be my favourite song of all time. I'm not sure, but Shit. it might just be. Such a beautiful song. But that whole album, I would recommend it. Really mm. good stuff. I'll definitely, I'll listen to that one soon. Yeah. Sweet. Um, in terms of films, I watched a film a few, about a week ago. Do you know Cosmo Jarvis? That's a familiar... Oh, my God. Brilliant, brilliant musician. I'd recommend any of his stuff as well. But he's also an incredible actor. He's in the final season of Peaky Blinders. He's um, in Lady Macbeth. And this film that he's... His newest lead role is um, called Calm With Horses. And it's on Netflix. And it's a... I suppose a crime drama. Sort of runs as like a modern telling of, of Mice and Men. And he lives in this Irish working class background and he's sort of taken into this crime family. He's got a lot of mental health issues. He's quite, um, he's got a lot of learning difficulties and he's about 20 years old. He's got a child, but he's very strong and big and he sort of gets exploited by this family. And it's such a brilliant look at masculinity and, and what it's like to be an, a powerful person with a compromised mind. Yeah. And yeah, Calm with Horses. It's on Netflix. Calm with Horses. I right. definitely recommend that that film. Okay. Got any film recommendations? Any book recommendations? A film. I've been watching a lot of films as of late. Um, I'm thinking of ones that you might like. Okay. And uh, there's one specifically that I think you would probably get something out of. Have you ever heard of a film called Once? I haven't. Once is a very low budget film. It was made in, I think, 2006, 2007, and it focuses on a um, songwriter mm-hmm. who, like, plays music in crowds, you know, asks for, like, change of his music and all that kind of stuff, like, amongst all these crowds and that, and eventually he meets someone. Right. And it's a film that does focus on connection a bit, and it focuses on that whilst using music as an avenue to convey that. Right. And it's a really touching film. Quite beautiful, in fact. Yeah. I think it really does the same. If you... Director also did um, Sing Street. If you've heard of that before, I haven't. Oh right, God, I'm the film student here. Yeah, and it's like no. I thought you might have before. What Titanic? Quite... Who? 
Who's Kubrick? No, I, I don't it's know Star Wars. The Kubrick. I don't know who either is. Kubrick? <laughs> What's a Kubrick? <laughs> What's a brick? That's Q. <laughs> um, anyways, no, check out Once. I will do. Once is a really good film. I will do. Sweet. Wow. There we go. Recommendations. Once. Karma Horses. Get them on. Right. This, this has been Before the World Implodes. It's been one of my favourite episodes, to be honest. It's been a really great conversation. Thank you. Good timing. Hope everybody has a beautiful, blessed week. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you for listening. If you made it all the way through, peace and love. Thank you to Alice for coming on. Real, honestly, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate your time.